Take a knee, take a seat, grab a brew, and listen in. This is the Reorg Podcast. And here we are for episode 21 of the Real Podcast. I've tried to, you know, get podcasts out every once a month. I think that's my kind of kind of aim once a month this year. Um, so here I am back for this one. So this episode's guest is Danny Morgan. So Danny served in the Poachers, the Royal Anglin. Uh, he was a Sergeant Major. He finished on a Sergeant Major voluntary redundancy in 2014, I believe. Um, but you know his his career and you know the when he talks about it is something that we can all kind of relate to because there's a bit of everything. You know he talks about how you know his growth up to to the sergeant role and then he was platoon sergeant out in in Iraq. But also you know there's some trials and tribulations through throughout his career that you know I think there's many of us that have gone through them. You know albeit if you're a short career as mine or. As long career as Danny's, um, you know, Danny also goes into his demons, uh, you know, um, which, you know, if you, if you listen to him, and there's, there's probably a lot of people who wouldn't have thought he had those demons, but you know, as as we talk about it, if everyone in life goes through their own issues and their own fights and struggles, so we can't judge people on, you know, their appearance. Um, but yeah, but I really enjoyed the episode. I really enjoy sitting down with Danny. Uh, I hope you do enjoy it too. So here it is, episode twenty-one. And welcome for episode twenty-one. I can't believe I'm even at episode twenty-one. No, it's impressive, told, mate. Good effort. You'd have told me to. You're going to get to episode twenty-one. I'd have punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. But, um, anyway, um, if you um, just want to introduce yourself quickly, mate. Yeah, of um, course. Where you're from, obviously your name and everything, we'll go through that. Yeah, no dramas. Uh, my name's Danny, Danny Morgan. Um, born in Watford. Well, wasn't born in Watford, but certainly raised in Watford, but I try not to tell too many people that because they'll hold it against me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to nick your wheels, it's all right. Um, yeah, raised by mum and dad. Mum and dad are still together, which is a bit rarity in nowadays, and yeah. I grew up with a sister, bigger sister, but uh, she's always been very close to me, to be fair, my sister. Best man at my wedding, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, see it really. Yeah, and then when did you realise you were going to join the army? Um, so my dad was in the building trade all of his life and very much thought I was going to go into the building trade. Um, I can't even hang a nail in the wall. I, I screwed that up. So I had a, a Saturday job at uh, Littlewoods years and years ago, showing my age, a Littlewoods restaurant. And one day I was just passing the careers office and thought, oh, that looks like a good idea. A couple of weeks later, I was signing the dotted line. Um, and the thought process was I'd do that for a couple of years until I grew up a little bit and learned what I want to do with my life when I grew up. Yeah. 20 odd years later, I was still there because I still haven't grown up. <laughs> That's yeah. what makes sense, you know. So it just seemed like a good idea at the time and then something I really enjoyed and, and stuck at it. Yeah, and what, what age were you when you joined? So I was I was 18, 18. signed at the dotted line. Yeah, so I was kind of bumming around, left school, bumming around for a little while, you know, wiping tables, washing dishes and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Never really had any direction. And let's be honest, a lot of young young people don't in general. I haven't got a clue what they're going to do when they grow up. Yeah. I'm now 45 and I'm still not sure what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> you know. Yeah. 
Um, and then what unit you were, what unit did you join? So I joined Royal Anglin, although that was weird, to be fair, because um, I know absolutely nothing about the army. I don't know if you remember, you know, when you join the army, you go and you, you do your barb test and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, and you get lists of jobs that you can do. Um, I mean, I thought I was thick as shit, to be fair, but they still give me a good few lists of jobs. So I said the infantry, because that was all I knew. Um, then when I turned up in training, um, there was all these different pictures on different people's lockers, which subsequently turned out to be cap badges, but none of us really knew what they were. Shows how much any of us really knew what any of it was, if that sort of makes sense. So all the way through training, um, I'd been told it was going to be one Royal Anglin uh, based in the UK. Mm. Um, however, got to the end of training, writing, you know, your MFO boxes, and I'm like, what are you doing? That's the wrong address. No, you're going to Royal Anglin in Germany. So a bit of a culture shock sort of thing, but uh, so it worked. Yeah. Um, I was afraid you can take off that because I didn't realise... I thought you could hear me through that, but you can't, can you? No, it's me, I can hear. Yeah, you can take it off. Awesome, because that's a bit off-putting listening to myself. Yeah. Um, and how was that going to Germany? So, obviously, you were, what, 19, 18, 19? Yeah. It was Germany. Yeah, it was a surprise. Because um, I was seeing the girl at the time, turned out to be the first wife. Yeah. Uh, and that was a surprise for me and the family. Um, but let's be honest, it wasn't, we weren't on our own. An awful lot of us ended up going to the 2nd Battalion. And in hindsight, I think it was a good thing. You know, as a young lad, going to live in Germany for, well, we had a year there before we got posted. Um, and actually, it was good. Um, but again, you know, the usual, the usual sort of fear elements of arriving in battalion, or what's it going to be like? Um, and you know what you, you know, your NCOs are like in training. They put the fear of God into you, don't they? Um, I don't know if you know this name, a Fusilier, actually, um, or certainly stayed on, a guy called Jace Wellard. It was my, my first impression of battalion when I, when I arrived. You know Seller, don't you? You know, mm-hmm. the, the horseshoe. Oh, yeah, we, so, that's what I was based on, yeah. Yeah, excellent. So, you know, the horseshoe, sort of, you know, the coach arrived there, mm-hmm. walking down walking down the stairs of the coach. The very first thing I know, I was sat on my ass because he'd come on the coach and dropped me. Right, Sprogs, you're going to A company, you're going here, so on and so forth. Uh, great welcome to battalion. But they were the days you expected. Mm-hmm. There's no issues, do you know what I mean? Um, as I walked towards A company block, or got guided towards A company block, if you like, um, there was loads of people hanging out the window. Woo, Sprogs! It was almost like arriving in jail, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Fish, 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 sort of thing. Um, met by the COS, shown to my room, um, you know, going to a four-man room, you know what it's like. Fortunately, the four-man room was empty at the time. Um, go in, start set, setting your stuff in. Um, everybody comes to visit you, don't you know, poking the nose in, see what's going on and that sort of stuff. But it was a bit odd. Um, you know, I, I was warned, be careful, you know what your first night, night in battalion is going to be like. Um, and then a couple of the lads, sort of senior soldiers or whoever they were, came in, sat in the room and that was sat on the bed chatting or whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden the door came flying open and uh, there was this lad wearing a respirator, had a six foot crowbar and he was naked. Uh, and he had the biggest cock I've ever seen on a bloke. And he's like, right, where's the sprogs? I was like, oh no. Yeah, your heart just sinks, doesn't it? It's like, oh. Yeah. And just as you, you know, you're mulling over, what do I do? What do I do? And he just laughed and ran off, fortunately. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, they get all the lads on the, on, sat on the bed were just pissing themselves laughing. Um, but, yeah, it was good. And that, that's pretty much how Battalion started. Yeah. Then the usual thing, right, you know, the COS came and said, right, the rest of the, the platoon that you're with have deployed to Senna Lager, or, yeah, had already gone. You're going to go to Senna Lager in the morning. Mm-hmm. Go down, see the CQMS, get your kit. Um, so he showed me where the CQMS was. And, uh, again, your yeah, CQMS stores... Big, big high desk, sort of chest high desk. And there was a guy in there called Dale Robbo, uh, CQMS. Yeah, great bloke. Uh, nicknamed Skits. Didn't know that at the time. Probably would have been helpful. Um, 
And I said, yeah, oh, hello, I'm, you know, I'm Private Morgan, I'm here to get my kit or whatever it was. Yeah, no dramas, mate, super friendly. Come in, in you come, just come round, grab whatever you need. Oh, okay. Yeah, no dramas. As I walked around, he pulled his hands out and he had boxing gloves on. Then the rest of his storm had appeared with the boxing gloves on and you get a little bit battered as you do. Um, but none of it was malicious. Yeah. And I think that's what's quite, what's quite important. You know, yeah, yeah. People have this preconceived idea that there's bullying, viciousness, maliciousness. And it's not. It's all about character building, isn't it? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Um, so, you know, after you sort of pick what yourself up. This? this was... I arrived in Battalion March 95. Right. Um, so again, you know, there's still the horror stories going on and that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I mean, don't get me wrong. A couple of days later, when we got back from Senalaga, I got taken down into the basement. So I don't know if you remember, um, the, the warrior stores were underneath in the basement, weren't they, of, of the blocks and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. So I got taken down in the stores by, by a lad called Rari and Trace, you know, two, two sort of battalion boxers. And they, they were taking me down there to educate me, if you know what I mean. And I hadn't done anything wrong. It's just about learning your place in the hierarchical system of the private soldier. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so as we got down there talking and I thought, you know, um, as most young lads had, I've done a bit of martial arts or whatever, not, nothing great, do you know what I mean? And I thought, well, okay, who's the biggest threat? Which one do I thump? Or do I learn my place and just take the beating? Uh, and anyway, as they were chatting to me on the way past, because you've got to walk past the Sergeant Major's office on the way down, um, it turns out Rari was also a Watford boy. Um, and that was then under Rari's ring for the worst of it then. No barons, no, no nothing, hard time. I mean, don't go wrong, the usual thing of, right, you, six and tens tonight, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, staff. And then you turn up on six and ten. Why am I, why are you on six and ten? I'm not sure. And then somebody shouted, because he's ginger. <laughs> and, and that was it, do you know, it's forever on six and tens for being ginger and that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but do you know what, it was, it was, it was good stuff. We had a great time. Yeah. You know, so some of the things that they did make us do as Sprogs was just fantastic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the thing is with that is, I guess you, you hear the horror stories and, but, even I joined what ten years later, two thousand six, two thousand seven. I mean, I found that when I joined, it was you all got your your shit jobs and you know whatever the normal. But if you didn't fuck up, you weren't gonna get singled out. And yeah. I was lucky when I turned up. There was a lot of lads who were fucking up. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like, kind of, I had the initial probably two three weeks, and then people were just fucking up loads. So yeah. I was kind of just brushed aside and had all the all the attention and were the more senior lads and who were fucking up so I was like oh Roger yeah you've got to make the most I think in many ways if you can play the grey man that's ideal isn't it just do what you're told when you're told the way you're told so to speak and, and just bob along with it it's ideal isn't it you know yeah. but uh, yeah I remember one time the uh, the football was on and um, they couldn't get a you know because yeah, back in 95 we didn't have the sky and all the other bits and pieces so uh, they got one of the gym benches, um, you know, the long, the long sort mm-hmm. of gym benches. Um, we were on the third floor, three of the team were on the third floor. So they chained one end of the ben- one end of the bench to the radiator, and the rest of it was going out the window. Yeah. And I had to sit on the other end of the bench, holding the satellite dish, um, so they could get the, um, get a decent reception to watch a football. And uh, it started snowing, and I was gibbering. But they said they were looking after me because they gave me a coat, which was lovely, you know, very nice. Um, <laughs> But it just goes to show how, how, how things were different then because yeah. I remember looking down and the BOS walked past. Uh, BOS walked past. And again, they were clearly identical walking past in barrel dress yeah, with yeah. the cat and that sort of stuff. And um, it, it did make me laugh because he just looked up and he laughed. He goes, Don't fall off. It's too much paperwork. <laughs> he just cracked on. And that, that's just me. Yeah. But you know what? That's what it's about, isn't it? Do you yeah. know what I mean? And they're the stories. But like I say, none of it was vicious. None yeah. of it was malicious. 
and actually in, in my opinion it's purely character building mm-hmm. I think that's that's key to making us who we are and what we did you know yeah. well, it was passage of rights as well wasn't it you know everyone would have gone through it so it was like a step of mm-hmm. and I, I guess it changed the more the op- we became operationally experienced mm-hmm. you had blokes who were turning up on operation like they would do training and then yeah. fly straight out to operation and then would miss that and mm-hmm. I guess that's probably where if you look at you know I've not I've been out a while but from the stories I've heard it's not really like it used to be yeah. um, I mean everyone says that it's not like it was in my day but I mean it's changed because you know people are going out and they're expected to be on operations and you missed out on Mm-hmm. the character building mm-hmm. as such and you've got a different kind of character building well, well that's it you know it's, it's, if, if you go straight out on tour it's like a baptism of fire isn't it you know I mean certainly when I joined it was you were a sprog until you'd done a year and a day or an operational tour mm-hmm. and that was it no yeah. ifs no buts that the two criteria to not be a sprog yeah. you know and until then you were right go down the naffy I want you know 20 fags and a, and a roll and the change you haven't given any money don't gob off <laughs> and off you go and get it that's fine yeah. but actually you know um, I mean for me because I joined the battalion in 95 the battalion did Bosnia in 94 so again they were a very close knit mm-hmm. unit from doing a tour as, as as is happening and again I think being overseas helps with the the, the, the closeness of the lads mm-hmm. um, because certainly later on in life when we got posted to Cottesmore just up the road it was in the middle of the recruiting area so actually they disperse. What do you yeah. do in the evenings? The amount of lads that lived out in the, you know, even during the day, oh, where are you yeah. going? It's Wednesday night, I'm going out for dinner with my mum. Yeah. You wouldn't hear of that, you know, if we was in Germany, Bally Kelly or wherever it were. Of course you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so actually I think being in, the, in in Germany was really good. It was a good option. It, it was, as much as I was terrified initially, it was fantastic. Yeah. And in hindsight, far happier I went there because it made you sink in and, and get involved so much quicker. Yeah. I mean, I want, I want to know, if, did you, um, was, so you were there in 90, 95, 90, was Apache's there, the steakhouse? Probably. Yes. It was. Still to this day, the best steak I've ever had. Oh, massive. 50, 50 euros for a, for a fillet steak, but it was like fucking huge. Yeah. Go there, fucking jacket potato, sour cream, mate. Oh, that's the only issue with all the steakhouses in Germany. You get great steak, you get great food. But if your steak is sort of like, you know, a foot square, the sour cream is about two foot square. Yeah. And it's like, what is this stuff? Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it's just so intense. And it's like, yeah, it's all great. But you're just scooping all this horrific snow off the top of your steak, aren't you? Yeah. But yeah, no, it was good. I went back there. What, well, when I left, I then went back to visit Battalion, I think about six months later. Mm-hmm. So my brother was still posted there and I was like, I need to go to Apache's. That's yeah. one thing I need to do. That was it, yeah. It's funny, it was, there was a few good places there and popcorns. I don't know if you remember, remember the pub popcorns. It was great. It had this like weird time machine in it because you could go in for a couple of pints on a Friday afternoon and then you come out and it's Sunday morning. And it's like, how's it happened? And then, any, 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 honestly, anybody you speak to, they go and popcorns and they literally have four or five pints and they come out three days later and it's like, how has this happened? Do you know what I mean? It's absolute madness. And the thing in Germany is, lay by Lils as well. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I did, I did my Warrior driving car over there and um, we literally drove from lay by to lay by. That's how we did it. We drive down, different lay by, swap over, brew, get a BV on, that sort of stuff. Certain people went off to do what they needed to do, and then we jumped back in again. And it's like, yeah, 
just blows your mind, blows your mind. absolutely blows your mind. It's like the worst thing for squaddy, British squaddies to go over there and you've got, oh, what are these caravans on the side mm. of the road for? Why is, it, why is it moving? Is there an earthquake? No, there's really not. No. Yeah. No, I forgot about those. Yeah. But again, the culture in Germany was different, wasn't it? You know, it, um, I remember going in the mess because we went back to Germany a few years later as a unit. Right. And uh, if you want to go in the mess, if you want a Coke, it was a Euro. If you want a, you know, like a Jack Daniels and Coke, it was 80 cents. Because it was like, you know, 50 cents for the, the, the shot and 30 for the, the Coke or whatever. So hang on, it's, a, it's cost effective. Let's get smashed. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And it was, yeah, you know, th- those were the days you were younger and you could think, yeah, you could just drink until the sun come up, get a shower and go for a run, couldn't you? Yeah. I can't do that now. I, mean, I, saw, I saw this thing the other day, actually. Some some general or something has come out and said that there's a, the, the drinking culture of the British Army, he was basically slagging it off or putting it into distribute. It's like, well, that's, I mean, I guess there is, but that's fucking... Well, there is, but, you know... I mean, everyone's got a choice as well. Like, fucking... Yeah. There, there were people who didn't drink, you know, but, I mean... They, they, they were few and far between, though, to be fair. Yeah, but, I mean, even, even then, right, okay, even if the drinking culture is too bad and it's, you know, it's, a, it's bad for the health, but... You're asking people to go, especially it's mainly when you go to like Germany and you're based in other countries. When you're in London, like England or basically everyone goes home at weekends, anyone yeah. does what they want. But when you're asking blokes to go and women to go live overseas for two years mm-hmm. and essentially not come home, you'll come home when you've got mm-hmm. a long pot of leave. Yeah. What, what are you going to do to fucking pass the time? Well, there is that thought and at the risk of down, going down a little bit of a rabbit warren there's the thought process of actually, you know, a lot of people self-medicate through drinking mm. and actually, you know, the guys will get drunk, have a few beers and they'll let off steam. Mm. And if they're not letting the steam off by having a couple of tinnies in the mess or, 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 you know, the junior ranks bar or whatever it is, if you can't let go then, surely it's better to let go there than go downtown and do something stupid and upset the locals. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so actually, I massively disagree. The drinking culture is part of the forces, isn't it? Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's, I mean, I bet you had some you're right on block parties in Germany. Yeah, I should do. Yeah, we had an ongoing feud and it lasted for years and years between A Company and C Company. Uh, so A Company, you know, I assume you, I think your blocks were laid out the same. When you first go in the front gate, your cellar. A Company was left. Left, that's right. A Company was left, then you've got BHQ, yeah. and then you've got it's sort of B, C and D across the other side. Um, a Company late at night, all on a, generally on a Friday night, they'd go on a stealth mission, they'd kidnap somebody from C Company, <laughs> bring them back, you know, sort of strip them, tie them, tape them to a bed, cover them in shaving foam or whatever, and just leave them out in the Warrior car park, you know, the, 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 um, the car park between, was it the science mess and the, 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 the crash or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? But again, you could do it on the weekend because you knew the kids weren't going to be there until the Monday, yeah. and inevitably somebody in C Company had realised that, hang on, where's Bob or whatever it might be and then they'd go over and there'd always be some kind of bit of a scrap but again it was never a malicious scrap it was just you know roughing people up throwing them around a bit and then a couple of days later they'd come and get their own back and that sort of stuff and it was an ongoing feud for years between A and C company it was funny you know but um, it got to the stage at one stage it, you know, it was literally buddy-buddy system. You couldn't even go for a wee on your own. You had to take somebody with you because somebody was going to get kidnapped. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was hilarious. Like, But, um, yeah, I mean, if you think about, you know, Germany was a fantastic life. I remember falling asleep on the steps outside the front of the block with 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 uh, Danny Young, one of the lads. I signed the dotted line with, weirdly enough. And um, we woke up on the stairs outside the front of the block, covered in snow. A miracle we woke up, really, wasn't it? Yeah, Do you know what Jesus I mean? Christ. And, uh, yeah... 
yeah, find some of the stories you think back, what, what a fantastic life it was and what a great opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you come back to what you were saying, you take that drinking culture away, where would it be? Yeah. I, I mean, the thing is as well, you, you, the drinking culture, well, yes, okay, there's fights that kick off, but there's also feuds that stop because of the drink. You know, you yeah. get the wrong idea with someone and then you're like, fuck it, let's have a, mm-hmm. or majority, we'll have a scrap and then we'll probably have a beer or something or... That's the advantage of being a bloke, isn't it? Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're a knob. Yeah, so are you. <laughs> have a quick slap and it's over and done with it's dealt with, isn't yeah. it? But equally, I think that, you know, that's one of the advantages behind, and if I'm honest, it's probably one of the things I've struggled with as a civvy, the lack of socialising mm. at work. Mm-hmm. You clock out, you go home, you don't yeah. speak until the next day. Yeah. Whereas at least, you know, back in green, you, you socialised, you never locked your door and it's somebody who's coming around for a brew all the time and that sort of stuff. And actually, I think, like you said, that alleviates a lot of stresses and tensions because you learn about what's going on in their lives. You know their wife's name, their kids' names, you know what the dog's called, you know this and you know that. And actually gives you far more empathy with them when they're, if they're being a bit umpy, you know why? Because you know what's going on in their own, mm. if that sort of makes sense. And I think that's that's priceless. Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, if you're, if you're locking your door... You're getting filled in because you're like, fuck, well, what are you locking your door, you red ass? Yeah, 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 that's it. You know? and that was always the argument, wasn't it, when it went to Z type accommodation? Yeah. Yeah, because it's unsociable, mental health was dropping, and all that sort of stuff. Well, actually, I love being in a four man room, yeah. it's fantastic. You know, because I think, I think the four man room in the A Company block was probably one of the biggest rooms. So it was like literally a party in my room every night mm. because it had a big TV, we had a sofa in there that had probably been passed down through generations called Scotch Bright, and it was, the sofa was called Scotch Bright because you get off scratch in it. <laughs> it's probably covered in fleas or something, do you know what I mean? But yeah, it was great. And actually that, that was fantastic life, do you know what I mean? Some of the things we got up to, uh, I don't know if it was still there. When we were there the first time, there was a martial arts shop down there and uh, we had a few dodgy characters. Dale Birkin was one of them. And uh, he went down, he bought a taser. And uh, that was it. You'd be walking out the shower and you'd just wake up on the floor with a stiff neck. Oh! <laughs> do you know what I mean? And uh, there was a, uh, another guy bought a crossbow, and all of a sudden you just this whoosh, as he's just fired it down a corridor and it's stuck in the back of a door somewhere. Do you know what I mean? And it's like wow, do you know what I mean? But, but it was fun. Nobody yeah. died, did they? You know. It's... I mean, just going on the culture change in the army. You look at. I mean, the thing is, what used to be, and you know, it's probably not like that anymore. You know, if you get an NCO or something, especially in the junior NCO's mess or you know whatever corporal's mess um, if some bloke's being a twat you know someone's just going to drop him and then he'll yeah. stop being a twat whereas yeah. now that's probably not no I mean again you know like, like, like you alluded to earlier on I've been out a while now got out in December 2014 so things change so much don't they I met up with a uh um, one of the old sergeant majors he's a guy called Lee Davo and uh, he was a sergeant major in the battalion he was pulling his hair out he says I don't get to be a sergeant major because I'm tied to the computer for eight hours a day. Mm. Because how do you lead troops when you're tied to a computer doing this return, that return, and so on and so forth? Mm. Whereas actually, you know, I remember back when I was a platoon sergeant, you know, we had nominal roll printed off and I had a highlighter pen. And the sergeant major wanted something, you highlight it and you give it in. And that was it done. And you were left to, to train the troops, to mm. lead the troops, you know. Whereas now mm. it's, yeah, I think arguably... I got out at the right time. Right, yeah. That sort of makes sense. You know? Yeah, I mean, when I when I turned up, it was like, there was a sergeant major called Gripper Grant, I think it was, and he, um, his his thing was, if you ever got in trouble, it was always, you'd go into the office, I never experienced this, but, you know, from, from, you know, sources, <laughs> they're like, 
face or belly yeah you know what face or belly face black belly black yeah yeah that was your treatment and mine was because obviously you were basically in Cyprus as well but you'd be out in the piss at fucking god knows what time the amount of times I came running running down at fucking five o'clock in the morning because you probably start what six o'clock isn't it for mm-hmm. PT normally yeah and we're running in at 5.30 in the morning which like fuck you need to get on parade and the thing is with the sun made you was like as long as you're there and you don't smell a booze mm-hmm. and you can do PT yeah then do it yeah. but if you can't fucking if you show up and you stink a booze and you fail to do PT I'm gonna mm-hmm. beast you mm-hmm. but if you if you crack on then crack on yeah but it's fair though don't you think that's fair yeah. I mean yeah, in many ways we had the same rules same in Bally Kelly actually in fact it's probably worse in Bally Kelly to be fair um, you literally left the mess got showered got changed it's straight didn't matter if you were wobbling as long as you completed the run which nine times out of ten sobered you up yeah. you got changed you cracked on with work you know um, slightly naughty because I suppose we were in Belfast at the time so you probably shouldn't have been doing too much of your stuff drunk but I think probably most of us were for most of that tour to be yeah. fair do you know what I mean but um, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that no. I, I, I remember there was this I don't know if I've said about it but there was this uh, there was this like I think it was a charity or was a Health Heroes Do I think it was just before I just got back from my show card I think it was just before we went to Africa and the OC was like right gave a list there was like five of us that needed to go and he was like you have to we had a CFT the next day mm-hmm. he was like right scale parade you have to go mm-hmm. I was like sir we've got a CFT tomorrow he was like yes but you have to go to this party he was like yeah but sir it's free drinks he was like you have to go HP you've got to go I was like sir I'm going to kick your ass out of it you know that right he was like <laughs> as long as you pass tomorrow I don't care anyway so <laughs> fucking I got absolutely shit face and there was a red ass whitey his name was he ended up getting blown up in, in Afghan I mean he's alright he's just fucking Irish fucking lunatic crazy guy but he was proper red I think he turned up probably two days before and he was out with me and he ended up putting me in a taxi taking me back to camp and like putting me in bed and I was sick everywhere while I was in bed woke up in the morning fucking still in my piss kit sick everywhere walked down to the army got the got a jimpy out and was walking like this and the OC was like put that fucking jimpy back and then whitey after the CFT it was the hardest physical activity I've ever done in my life because I was so drunk Mm -hmm. and and I passed though I was like if I could pass the CFT Mm -hmm. absolutely shit face like proper mortal shit face I was like I'll be fine but I was like I had new officers there as well like um, who just turned up who didn't know me so I was always I'm always fit I was always fit I was never struggled with PT mm-hmm. anyway so I, but because I was so smashed I'd be at the front and then I would shuffle all the way back you know get all the way to the back and then run to the front yeah. and then make my way backwards and then all the officers were like come on come on come on HP and then I can't remember what I think it was a platoon sergeant Val was like don't worry about him he's fine I was like fucking oh. it was hard it was eight miles of me running to the front crawl like making my way to the back <laughs> running to the front like, yeah fucking horrible Oh, it's great. Yeah, because you probably don't remember the first three miles, do you, I suppose? Mm. Yeah, and then it hits. Yeah. It was, it was the, the... But I, I was like, after that, I was like, fuck, if I can pass a CFT in that, in that state, I'll be set up in anything. Yeah, fair dues, yeah. yeah. We, had, we had an officer, I can't remember, I think it was Chepstow. No, it wasn't Cotsmore, just up the road. And uh, 
he was gobbing off one night in a mess. Ah, oh, you know, these CFTs, they're easy. I don't know what the young lads are going on about. I could do it drunk and in my service kit with a GPMG. Um, I can't remember if it was the OC or the CO. Somebody held him to that. One Friday, you know, Friday morning for a CO's PT, he turned up in uh, number one dress, a GPMG. And, uh, and it made him do the CFT like that. It was the best thing I've ever seen. He was in turmoil, absolute turmoil. All due respect to him though, he did finish it. Yeah. He, he, he was in, yeah, you know, I don't know how, I mean, he took his, because he did it in George boots, took his boots off. Oh, oh mate, oh, his George feet, oh. his feet were bleeding. Not just sore, they oh, were bleeding. Yeah. And um, because, yeah, I'm not copying off again. <laughs> Which clearly took, but you know, it's great because it taught him a lesson, yeah. but actually also proved how, I don't know, resilient, bloody minded, uh, whichever that may be, yeah. he achieved his aim and good on him for doing that, you know. Because yeah, yeah. um, let's be honest, we've all made a few sort of stupid comments when we've had a few, haven't we? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, good on him. And then, so you did sell out then. Where was your first, before, no, what, so what, what, what were your posters? You posted, you did sell out, or Germany, then where'd you go from there? Um, so we went from, I might get a bit confused with my age, I forget things, but <laughs> 95 for a year was Germany, you know, seller in Germany. We then went to Warminster for de Demo Battalion. Um, so it was an undeployed so what was that? role. What was that so we were still warriors. Yeah. Um, and what it was, it was Demonstration Battalion for two years. So we demo things. Um, was that like for civvies to watch? or for some, some was for civvies watch. Some would help out with PCD, you know, the platoon commanders, battle course and mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, do you know what is a fantastic posting? Because Monday to Friday, or Monday to Thursday generally, we were on exercise. Mm -hmm. Come back Friday, fantastic. You know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, it, 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 off, it was great. Um, and actually, to me, it was a really good posting because there was there was no bullshit or very little bullshit. Again, equally that's because we had a good OC, a good sock major, mm -hmm. you know, good sort of platoon headshot and that sort of stuff. But again, you know, still a sprog there. Um, but it was great. It was a good posting. It's just geography wasn't too bad either. You know, um, got married when I was in Warminster. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a good job there. There till about 98, 98 to 2000, we went to Decalia in Cyprus. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, good posting. I mean, again, it was, other than patrolling the green line, there was very little we we had to do. So the powers that be implemented quite a lot of bullshit there, right. as, as you can imagine. Yeah. Napa was out of bounds and various other bits and pieces were out so, of bounds. So you were there after the green jackets? That's right, yeah. yeah. Well, after they buried somebody, should we say, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. that was, yeah. But what a posting though. I mean, we were, I think we were lucky because we were, our battalion was on theater reserve battalion. Mm -hmm. So they were, there was less bullshit going on because yeah. people were deployed all over the place. Mm -hmm. I remember getting there and I missed out the first tour because I was very injured playing rugby and then um, ended up being on rear party um, with, with a bunch of good lads um, for not deploying for various reasons and uh, I fucking put on a stone the Cypress stone fucking was, was drinking I worked it out I was drunk 19 days in a row which all started from like full on I say 19 days in a row I mean out on the piss 19 days in a row Started from, oh, should we just go get uh, some food? Yeah, yeah. Ended up fucking coming in at five in the morning. Like, Fantastic. Oh. Yeah, but you know what? If you can't do it then and there, why not? Yeah. You know, now now you've got a, dare I say the word, you know, the expression, a real job. I, I don't think your employer would take it particularly nicely if you had a 19-day bender, would they? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah so, so why not? Yeah. Well, it, it all came to a head because then I had a, um, I did the PFT. I think, what was the pastime? 10.30? 
Yeah, I think, I think before, like when I left training and stuff, I was running like eight fifty or something, mm-hmm. um, and then I ran at ten twenty five, and I was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> <laughs> I need to wow. sort my life out." Yeah, 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 probably best. Well, it's not great for your bank balance either, is it? No, Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, but I mean that that was when the Cyprus pound was in as well, so mm-hmm. we were lucky then. I mean, we, yeah. we didn't have the euro. Well, I think the euro came in halfway through our. In Cyprus, our yeah. deployment in Cyprus. When were you there? What years were they? I think they 2007, 2008. Yeah. Yeah, 2000, I think they came back 2008, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. The um, Yeah, because obviously when we were there, it was far too early for the Theatre theatre mm-hmm. Reserve Battalion. When the battalion went back a few years later, they did, did an element of mm-hmm. that. But obviously at the time, you know, 98 to 2000, you know, the Balkans were sort of dying off. Iraq, Afghan and that sort of stuff hadn't kicked off. Just you know, the normal plodding along with Northern Ireland, if you like. Yeah. Um, but we didn't do any deployments from Cyprus. But it was a I did, did the junior NCO cadre in Cyprus, finished that, went straight onto a tactics cadre again, run in Cyprus, yeah. Um, finished that, and about two or three months later, went straight on juniors, yeah. Um, so Cyprus so was pretty a, quick from after doing your NCO cadre, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but again, that, that if I remember right, that's because there wasn't a particular desire of people wanting to go. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I just want to be a camp soldier or whatever. Yeah. Not a camp as in, oh, well, oh, you know, camp yeah. as in, you know, don't really want to deploy. I'm quite happy to do COS. And it's like, no, sod that. I mean, that, even when I joined, you had the reminiscences of the old, you know, senior fusiliers or senior privates. Yeah. I guess, as my, I mean, my career, I only did five years, but as it came, you know, progressed, there was less and less senior soldiers and it mm-hmm. became more, you either get pushed out or kind of, yeah. Back when I guess you joined, there was probably a lot of fifteen-year privates. Oh, it certainly was a few, yeah, mm. yeah. But then, strangely enough, you know, uh, one of the lads I still speak to him now, like called SDS in the poachers, he's just coming to the end of his twenty-two years as a private soldier. But that's very rare nowadays, mm. isn't it? Very mm. rare. Um, whereas actually, you know, going back to the sort of you know, you know mid late nineties, it was quite common. Mm. You know, I mean, certainly you know, I can name a few off the top of my head, really. Um, but yeah, so good opportunities in Cyprus. My eldest daughter was born in Cyprus, down at the, what was the other one called? Episcopi. Episcopi. Yeah, whatever the military hospital down there, she yeah, was yeah. born down there. So, you know, much to my liking, she's she's got a British passport. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she, she was born there. Six months later, we got Chepstow. Went to Chepstow for yeah. four years. And that's when tours started and that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. So I injured myself on juniors. The last, I think it was on the final exercise or something like that, fell over. It turned out I snapped the cruciate ligament in my knee. And um, so as you can imagine, I was on sort of crutches for a, a very, very long time from that. Yeah. Um, but I'd done enough to pass. So that that was always a bonus. Um, came back and I was on the orbit to go to Sierra Leone as the, you know, they, they, they were getting a load of instructors to go, mm-hmm. um, to, go to Sierra Leone. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't deploy with that, but by all accounts, it was a, it was a good tour. Everybody came home. It wasn't a particularly sort of like ballistic intensive tour. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, the stories came back of, you know, one of the lads being bored who stabbed himself with his morphine to see what would happen. And, you know, the usual stuff with bored yeah, troops, yeah. you know, because I'm, I'm still a big believer the most dangerous thing in the world is a bored squaddy. Bored, yeah. Bored Do you know what I mean? Sure. Especially when they've got, you know, morphine and ammo, <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, not long after that. We, we started all the, you know, bouncing in and out of Northern Ireland, which is a pain in the bum. Yeah. Yeah. But no, it was good. You know, so a lot of movement around. And from there, 
I then got posted to depot, Catrick depot. Yeah. Did a year there as a full screw. Came back. I think we were Turnhill then. Um, did a year, 18 months in Turnhill with an Iraq tour. Uh, then I went back to depot as a platoon sergeant. A year after being at depot, I picked up my colour boy. Came back, did a two-year slot as a platoon commander. Um, very privileged with that, actually, because it's not yeah, particularly cool. Was that, was that a rifle platoon? Or? Yeah, rifle yeah. platoon, yeah, two platoon A company. Hmm. Um, biggest bunch That's of That's very goons. rare, though, for like, colours to be yeah, platoon commanders, isn't it? it is, but I was very privileged from the point of view that my, my strength was, and again, forgive me, I don't mean this in an arrogant sense, I believe my strength was leading troops. Yeah. Um, it probably didn't bode well that I couldn't count, so they probably couldn't see me in a CQMS crew, do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I did, did, did that. We had um, deployments to Poland and then a subsequent another deployment to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, come off that tour, and I got CQMS for about two months, but I knew I'd picked up my SART major. Right. So it was great being CQMS when you know you've got nothing to prove, I just yeah. write. And my opening brief to the lads in the stores was right. You guys run the stores, I sign stuff. I'll make the bruise. Uh, and they looked after me, good as gold. Yeah. Uh, you, you know what it's like. CQMS is, they, you know, they, they might pretend they know what they're doing, but they haven't got it. Generally, <laughs> I'm generalising, of course. Well, um, fucking inventory's old, isn't they? Yeah, they're, just private, they're just privates who've stayed in long enough. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and generally, that's it. Do yeah. you know what I mean? I remember having this drunk... So they don't all of a sudden get to colour boy and be like, hold on, now I can work the numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course you got yeah. Why, why do we join the infantry? Generally, it's because you avoid prison or you can't count, you've got no qualifications. General just is one of those, isn't it? Um, but, but yeah, but you sound about staying in. I remember having a good conversation with uh, a, a young officer years and years ago, fantastic bloke. And uh, we were talking about, you know, who makes captain, who makes major. And he says, it's not on capability, it's whether they stay in or not. Mm-hmm. You know, because actually, I'm sure you saw in your time, some of the best officers you come across get out at the captain level and you think, why? Mm-hmm. Such a such a shame, such a fantastic leader of troops and that sort of stuff, so much capability. And then you're looking at some complete window-licking mong who's just taken over as OC or ops officer or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. And the only reason they're there is because they, they've stayed in and, yeah. uh, and whatever else it might be, you know. Um, but it's the same at, you know, junior level, senior level, isn't it, you know? Yeah. Stay in if you like. But... What was your, um, your favourite question with... with uh... Do you know, I don't know. I think probably Warminster in yeah. some ways, because again, I was a private soldier. There was no real responsibility. My responsibility was looking after the warrior, making sure it was serviceable and it drove and that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, but we rotated through driving, gunning and being a troop in the back. But actually, we'd go for runs, we'd be on exercise. I don't know how, but I always had money to go on a piss. Mm. Um, yeah, it was a perfect yet simple life. So posting wise, that was good. But then at the same time, it wasn't good from a lack of operations point of view. Because mm-hmm. that's, that's why we join, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? To go, go and do some, do some cool stuff. But, um, but then equally... There wasn't much going on back then anyways, was there? No. No. No, certainly, certainly not then. I mean, I think Kosovo was going off at the time. But again, that was more for the armoured units in Germany and that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, I think the Fusiliers bounced in and out of yeah, Bosnia, Bosnia and Kosovo several times, didn't you? Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then equally, I think... I wasn't really a, a barrack soldier. I didn't enjoy being in camp. It didn't flick my switch by any stretch of the imagination. I either wanted to be on exercise or on tour or whatever it might be, as I think most people did. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and much to the detriment of, of my oldest daughter and, and my first wife in many ways. Yeah. You know, um, because I think we can become very blinkered, can't we? 
Yeah. yeah, far too mission focused. I've got to do this talk, Probably got to do that yeah. exercise, got to do this promotional course, whatever it might be. Um, and subsequently, I think very often we lose track of yeah. what's truly important. Do you think sometimes we, you know, we were talking before, and in a, in a way, in a way, you're in the army, you're inherently arrogant as being army over air force and navy, mm-hmm. so we're better than them. Mm-hmm. And then being infantry, we're better than them. And mm-hmm. then it's kind of like a self glow up that we're we're doing it for the we're doing it for our career and our course. So mm-hmm. we join the army. So therefore we've got to focus and focus on our career and kind of everything mm-hmm. else can come second. Mm-hmm. You know, which I yeah. guess that that's what has to happen for the army, but it's but it's a detriment to a lot of like relationships and oh, things it, like that. It is, and I think we're deluded in many ways. Mm. And I mean, no no disrespect to anybody because actually the army is as good as it is because of the people that in it are in it and go through and, and they give their all as, as, as many guys and girls that we know have done uh, have done that. Um, but actually it is a very a selfish role as well, mm. you know. And, um, uh, and I was told once that I was a very selfish man for doing what I did. You know, and actually, there's probably an element of truth in that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but it is what it is. You know, we 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 trick ourselves into thinking, I'm I'm doing good here. I'm I might save somebody's life, or I might make their lives better, and I might do this, and I might do mm-hmm. that. And by doing this, I'm financially providing for my family. Mm-hmm. But actually, are we morally or whatever whatever that expression is providing for our family? Yeah. You know, um, so actually, I did miss out on a hell of a lot of Lumpy's life. And it's something that uh, I carry quite a lot of guilt over, if I'm honest with you. Mm. I'm very privileged from the point of view that um, Lumpy come, Lumpy's mum and I split up many, many years ago. Um, and she came come to live with me uh, when she was nine. And we haven't seen her mum since. Uh, no bad thing. Uh, we haven't seen her mum since. Um, and it would give me the opportunity to try and play catch up in many right. ways. Sure. You know, she still lives with us now. She's, well, she's not upstairs, she's at work now. Um, but I've got a good relationship with Lumpy now but I'm very privileged that I've had that opportunity mm-hmm. to try and make up for the man that I lost yeah. if that sort of makes sense you know and like like, like we said earlier um, the job I do now it's it's not fantastic but it pays the bills and it gives me the opportunity to be the dad I want to be to both Lumpy and my young little girl Tigger now yeah. um, and to me that's what's important and it took me getting out to realise what an arrogant prick I was, yeah, yeah. if that sort of makes sense. So like you said, it's, 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 it's indoctrinated in us, isn't it? You know, right, you are in the army, that's all that matters. Mm. Everybody else is just about putting us there. Within the army, you're in the infantry, okay? Army first. And that's it, you know. But, but being in the infantry, all the other arms, there's you at the front, there's seven people putting you where you are. That could be pay, you know, chefs, drivers, engineers. You are at the front of that. And actually within that, you know, you've got all the infantry, then you've got the Queen's Division. Yeah, the Queen's Division's but within the Queen's Division. They're all, and it just goes on. Mm. And all of a sudden, you're on this horrifically high pedestal that you and your peers have put yourself on. No, no Nobody else has, just you and your twisted tw- mm. mind. But at the same time... You kind of need it, don't you? You do, yeah, yeah. because that arrogance is what makes you as good as mm. you, you, you can be. Mm-hmm. And that's also what makes you look after each other as well. Mm. You know, so it's twisted and it's wrong, but it's also right. But, yeah, it's needed. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, of like, course it is. It's, it's like those, it's like those times, you know, when you said you were joined and you, you know, you got the tough love, mm-hmm. but, you know, it can, could be seen, it could be seen as bullying or some, some aspects, but it's character building. It's, it's not the best and you wouldn't do that to a, you know, you wouldn't see that in a civvy company, but it's kind of, 
what makes you better and makes you more of a unit and yeah. you've all gone through it and you've all done it mm. and I don't think you'd, you'd, you'd get away with it so much today because actually society is different people are different yeah. Yeah. do you know what I mean but actually yeah we did get away with it and you know if you think about your first six to eight weeks of basic training they absolutely destroyed you didn't they yeah. do you know what I mean I had everything thrown out of the window during lock in, locker inspections that sort of stuff but the whole idea is to break you as a civvy so you don't phone your mum you lean on your mate yeah. and you lean on each other you know the, the expression the brothers in arms you lean on each other rather than lean on your external family and actually it's crucial but at the time you just think they're all being wankers don't you yeah. but actually it serves a very good purpose do yeah. you know what I mean um, but yeah that's interesting um, and when did you uh, when was your first oper- operational tour the first one would have been about early 2000s very early, uh, we deployed to uh, Belfast. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a small platoon of us deployed to Belfast to work with the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders. Um, subsequently, subsequently, been amalgamated. Now we just deployed out there. I think it's for about two or three weeks. Um, well, it's supposed to be two or three weeks. I think we stayed for about three months in the end, um, just helping them with the, the handover of, of, of a few bits and pieces, mm-hmm. just a few routine patrols. Um, but again, it's funny, isn't it? You know, you go through all the NIBAT training and, you know, your pre-deployment training and you think the minute you walk out the gate, bombs are going to go off, casualties are going to happen, this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, and actually it's completely chilled, you know, um, met some interesting people as you do when you're over there. Um, I would have been, yeah, you know, privileged, whatever you want to call it, you know, over, over, over my time. Yeah. Been set on fire, been sort of blown up, mortared, shot at, um, beaten up. But being spat on is the worst thing you could possibly imagine, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? And I remember being, we were on a static somewhere. And uh, this young girl just came right up to me. I thought she was going to ask something with a very sort of soft face. And she was spat in my face. I was like, you know, you're, you know you're going to fumble yeah. or something. It's like, that, that's the lowest of the low. Um, but yeah, so reasonably quick and simple tour. And then actually during the um, the Cosmore, sorry, not Cosmore, that's where they were. Chepstone mm-hmm. posting. We were bouncing in and out of Northern Ireland many times, whether that be small units of, of sort of platoons or, or companies uh, or entire battalion deployments. Mm-hmm. And we did deploy as a battalion once uh, on the NIBAT 4 tour. We deployed out for three weeks to help out with the marching season and came back seven months later. Um, but again, you know, it's it was one of those things. But again, mm-hmm. how hard must that have been for the families? Yeah. 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 Don't worry, darling, I'm going to be back for your birthday. You miss birthday, you miss Christmas, you miss everything. And um, again, I I don't remember any of us getting any R&R during that because we were constantly going to be going back in a week or two's time. Do you know what I mean? So you're living on the edge. I mean, I remember one stage, the entire company was living in the gym on bunk beds. You know, one bloke got a cold and it went around like wildfire. Everybody got it, do you know what I mean? That sort of thing. Didn't do that in COVID. Um, No, not at all. But um, weirdly, a couple of years later after that tour, I was I was got commander because was again I was a full group on my first posting. Yeah, which is strange, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Nowadays, people have literally come straight out of training to operational tours, um, so that adds a little bit of pressure because straight away you're going out, you're leading people on an operational tour when you've never been. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'd take out to snatches or taverns or whatever we had access to at the mm-hmm. time, and you know, you're leading them around Belfast. And again, you're only as good as the handover you're given. Do you know what I mean? I remember being on QRF once. And um, the the offgoing unit, the, the QRF commander told me we were red one, red two. The ops, the guy in, on, in the option stack told me, yeah, yeah, that's your call sign as we booked out. We ended up in the middle of a bit of a fracas between the, you know, the greens and the oranges, if you like. 
And I was, I was, you know, calling the option, you know, to say, look, this is what's going on, because we were getting paint thrown at us, bricks, yada, yada, whatever. And then uh, we had this very posh, posh voice come over, who the hell is red one and red two? That wasn't our call signs at all. We'd just been stitched up. Do you know what I mean? So, but um, yeah, that, that, that was quite good. But um, yeah, so we're going back to the original thing. I was going commander one night and it was quite a bad fight outside the front gate. And um, where were we? You were in Girdwood at the time. I don't know if you, ever, no, I don't know if you went to Girdwood. Um, a small, a small uh, sort of a base in the centre of Belfast. Um, and you've literally got the two sort of fractions either side, if you like. And there was quite a bad fight, you know, sticks and mm. weapons and various other bits and pieces being called. And I thought, well, no, we're not getting involved in that because you know how it works and you, you know how Northern Ireland works. Um, they'd be fighting each other, but as soon as you turn up, Don't they all join forces and fight yeah. you. And I thought, I've got four available blokes. I'm not going out there on that. It seemed to be, it wasn't like 100 blokes picking on four, yeah. if you like. It seemed to be relatively even. I passed it up through the option. Yeah, not interested, sort of thing. And that was it. However, a couple of years later, I was out with the family and I got a phone call on my mobile phone. Um, and they wanted to take me to court. So um, what it was was somebody that was out there um, got quite a severe kick in. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to sue me or take me to court for compensation for not stepping in and it's like this is mental are you having a bubble bath i'm not going to put four of my men's life at risk because that's how i perceived it as a life threat do you know what i mean because there must have been a good 100 150 people having a big fracas outside i'm not sending four blokes in at that i like getting involved in silly odds but that's taking a piss do you know what i mean um and i was i was absolutely flabbergasted that happened what, what happened in the end? Nothing, nothing, nothing come of it. So I passed it up through my chain and they said, absolutely fucking not, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was very pleased from that point of view, but it, it really hit me hard because that was way before all these sort of no win, no case fees and that yeah, sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah. And, you know, this Iraqi is going to have a go at you for that and, you know, war crimes. And I did nothing wrong. And I, to this day, I, I, I'm still adamant I did nothing yeah. wrong. Um, but the fact that oh, this guy's now in a wheelchair because you didn't do your job and you didn't intervene and it was your job to do this no it wasn't absolutely not was it do you know what I mean yeah. if he wasn't out there having a scrap in the first place he wouldn't be in a wheelchair would yeah. he if he didn't want to get involved he should have gone home yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. him being there was his own conscious choice not taking ownership of his do you know what I mean um, but yeah I was quite surprised and really quite taken aback by that to be fair um but yeah, the march, marching seasons in, in Belfast is always fun. Yeah. Obviously, I never deployed, but, you know, I had a lot of mates that did. And yeah. They're they, they interesting, do you know what I mean? And, and you tried varying different tactics. Yeah, static lines we used to do with your six-foot shields mm. and various other bits. And then we tried snatch squads. The snatch, snatch squads were quite good. So you've got a small group, generally run with the platoon science group. The shields open, a small group of people with batons just run forward, clubber everybody and just grab someone and bring mm. them back. You know, detain them and pass them off the chain, sort of thing, and that was fun. Um, and also, what, what what periodically did if there was a, a sort of static here, if you like, um, if there was an alleyway around there, the snatch squad would just run around the side and just run straight through the side, trying to alleviate the pressure on the shields. Because mm. one of the worst things when you stood there with the shield is not people pushing and banging them; it's leaning on the shields because it's mm. tiring. Mm. They're leaning, and then they're all leaning, they're all leaning, and it's all your strength and might to take it. Um, generally, this is in the evenings, but again, there's. 
you're dehydrating your knacker because you've got your, do you remember your thermals, your green Kermit mm-hmm. sort of thermals? You're wearing them underneath because they're mm-hmm. flame-proof, aren't they? Then you've got your pads on, then you've got your combats over the top, then you've got your body armor on, then you've got your helmet on. And as sod's law would have it, marching season's only in the summer, isn't it? <laughs> do you know what I mean? So you're already in absolute turmoil by the time the evening comes around, you know, but... Yeah, yeah, like, I just remember doing the training for it. I'm just seeing all the videos of my mates that were doing it. Mm. Like, like, even even the training for it, you know, when you get in other units coming in, you're beating the shit out of other units. Yeah, yeah. That's fun though, isn't it? Do you yeah. know what I mean? And, uh, what was it called? Raglan Waste. Yeah, you all have a bit of a scrap on Raglan Waste that down in the, um, the training area down in sort of Dover or whatever it was. Um, but let's be honest, again, that was another thing that gives you a false idea about what's going to happen. Mm. The first time I walked out the front gate, front gate of camp, you know, I was absolutely shitting myself. Mm. But actually it was a chilled, you know, you, well, you sprint out of camp, you zigzag in case there's anybody giving automatic fire. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that happened back in maybe the yeah, early yeah. 90s, the 80s, and it was a horrific place. You know, by the time we were going in the early 2000s, you know, um, I think there was the odd Sanger shoot, but on the whole it was more... Um, public disorder that sort of stuff mm. do you know what I mean I remember being on Alliance Avenue once down sort of the lower Shankill and uh, just you know berries on back of the snatches moving around just providing a presence and all of a sudden we had this ping ping it's like what was that uh, the next thing I know I woke up in the back of the wagon what they'd done is down just off the Shankill the lower Shankill they were of playing golf and barring golf balls at us one hit me in the head and got knocked out by a golf ball <laughs> woke up in the back of the wagon like do you know what I mean woke up to everybody wearing helmets and all of the riot gear so, do you know what I mean but it's just funny the way things just go from naught to yeah. but again that was the worst bit and I remember again similar similar place down on the roundabout at the top of the Shank Hill just off Tennant Street and we're in a static and uh, one of the one of the, um, the, the oldster ladies she wanted to be called she came out brought us out a tray with, with tea on, you know, it made everybody a pot of tea. And it's like, I said, it's lovely, got chatting to us. I but, you know, I don't understand. You're making us a cup of tea and bring us out biscuits now. You know, we made one of the sprogs test the tea first to make sure it wasn't poisoned. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, why are you doing this? But, but you know, two weeks ago, we had one of the worst kick-ins we've had down here. Yeah, but that's just fun. We'd never hurt anybody. <laughs> we've got a different understanding of what hurt means. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, and then obviously it went into a massive rant about, you know, or the IRA, pirate, yeah. or the other bits and pieces. Yeah, you see, they're vicious, they do this, and they blow kids up. And I suppose in comparison, having a kick in in, par- in comparison yeah. to blowing kids up, there's a lot of difference. Yeah. Can, you, can you imagine, though, like, being, being like, growing up in Watford, mm-hmm. you've got, like, the Irish military there. Mm-hmm. You would just be like, especially teenagers, you'd be like, fine, let's go. Knowing there's going to be really no consequences. Of course you would. Of course you would. And, and there's, a, there's a common mis- misconception, certainly in the UK, that actually the children don't know what they're doing. But they do. Yeah. They really, really do. I remember I was in, uh, I was visiting one of the Sangers once and I got a history lesson off this one. 10, 11 year old school girl. And I learned more from her yeah. shouting abuse and giving me dates and history and all that sort of stuff. I was like, wow. I mean, you don't know, like I, I've only just recently, if, if, like, honest, like honestly, just started to read up on the Northern Ireland and what, what happened and why it all kicked off. Like I didn't even know. It's only recently that I've learned mm. why it all kicked off and why we were... Right. <laughs> while we were there and stuff yeah I'm like, it's not really obviously it's not really taught much in school no at all no but it's, it's fine though because they still know why um, what's his name Howard Howard or whatever his name was got an arrow in the eye you know because yeah. this the history of school at the moment it's so, in my opinion it's so fundamentally wrong 
do you know what I mean? Do we really need to know about things that happened many, many years ago when they're not learning about the Great Wars? You know, they're, they're learning about this, that and the other, but it's all irrelevant. Why are people learning about American history in school? Oh, yeah. We're not American. Leave them alone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You know, learn about British history, but again, yeah, it's probably yeah. going down a rabbit hole and we shouldn't. But yeah. Yeah, I, I generally didn't know. And then, was it 71 started or something like that? Something like it was, yeah. Again, I'll be honest with you, my history's not great on it. Um, and I've never really understood the history or all of the ins and outs behind any of the tours I've done. And that's mm-hmm. deliberate. Um, because what I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be in a position where I fundamentally disagreed with mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because again, whether we like to admit it or not, we all form judgments and we all have opinions. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to be sent on a deployment to do something which but I disagreed with. Yeah, yeah. So arguably it was easier to have a childish approach go where I'm told, do yeah. what I'm told, the way I'm told. And as long as I'm doing what is morally right and sticking by, you know, the, the, the military ethos or, yeah. you know, your, your sea drills, if you like, yeah. then I could justify and live with what I was doing. Yeah. That sort of makes sense. So. I mean, there's people that, you know, mo- not, not moan, but complain about the Afghan and the Iraq war. And you'll never, I'm sure you'd never really see it from a, from a squaddy going that because at the end of the day, all the squaddy wanted to do was join the army and, majority of them wanted to join the army and just go to war yeah, yeah. really and they'll go and they're not really pay attention to the politics but no. as long as they're doing their training and yeah you know. and, and, and i think that is very, very much it in many many ways you know go and do what we've got told let's be honest like you say most people join to shoot stuff or blow shit up mm. yeah. don't you do you know what I mean? because that's what we've been doing since kids running around playing cowboys and indians or whatever it was we were doing yeah. do you know what I mean? where's where's the difference yeah. I'll be honest, I think my mum thought something different when I joined the army. Uh, my mum was very, very protective. And um, she never wanted me to join the army, but she thought, oh, he's got bad knees, he'll never get in. Yeah. And in my medical was, I remember, you know, you go in there, it's like, yeah, do you feel all right? Yeah. Do you want to be here? Yeah, good, you passed him, it's a tick in the box. And I remember when they drove me on day one, week one, to Bassingbourne to drop me off. And there was there was a guy staggering on with a rifle at the front gate, as there is with every, every camp. Mm. My mum turned around and goes, you're not going to have to carry a rifle are you what do you think I've joined mum do you know what I mean and it was just it was just quite interesting her, her genuine perception of what mm. that was going to be do you know mm-hmm. what I mean it's like yeah but needless to say you don't tell your mum a lot of things do you no <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean but yeah yeah so you did Northern Ireland you were bouncing to and from Northern Ireland when was your first tour that do you, no, let's go back to when you joined, when you were going. Do you remember going before you were going away on tour? You spoke about how it was when you were there, you were going out on the first patrol. Do you remember, obviously, you were building up because you had been in, what, four or five years before you mm-hmm. went on deployment to Northern yeah. Ireland? Do you remember how it felt building up to that? Yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of pressure, mm. certainly on the junior NCOs. Uh, there probably is throughout all of it. Um, but as a junior NCO, the pressure that was put on you to understand where you were going to be able to map read because again you've got to bear in mind that a lot of the damn senior NCOs that we were looking up to had spent years and years in Belfast or, or varying places within Northern Ireland um, so there's quite a lot of pressure and again because I moved reasonably quickly within the first couple of years if you like um, sort of promotion wise so you're dealing with people that have been in and out of Northern Ireland know the back you know mm. they can tell you names of places cars you know, and all that sort of stuff so I personally found the pressure quite hard because I'm a big believer of you lead and you lead by example you know yeah. um, this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it and I expected my lads to look to me for advice guidance and, and and sort of you know showing them the way to go so it was quite a lot of pressure to make sure I got it right but I'd never had the privilege of doing it as a private soldier and looking up to someone to see how it was done mm-hmm. so a lot of it <laughs> if I'm being honest with you, was making it up as we yeah. went along. 
Do you know what I mean? You know, like I alluded to earlier on in our conversation, I've been making shit up for 40 years now. Mm. I ain't going to stop now. Mm-hmm. So why would it be any different? Yeah. Um, but again, you know, you train your heart, get your guys hard, and you train them well. And actually, they they worked hard on the tour. Yeah. On all of the tours, all of your lads did. And again, you know, my platoon sergeants, when I was out there, good guys, good capable blokes, and, and fantastic knowledge. You lean on them a little bit, even though a lot of it you're left to your, left to your own devices. Yeah. Um, I remember I did I did drop myself quite in it, in it quite badly. Again, we were in Girdwood. Um, we'd recently come back from doing a bit of uh, support to ATO. You know the um, I don't even know what ATO stands for. You know the bomb disposal people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd be doing a bit of intimate support for them for a while, and I was just so tired, so tired. And then we then come back in the rotation. We was on cure effort for, for Girdwood, um, and I got a phone call. I can't remember how they got hold of us. Was it phone calls, radios, or whatever it was? Got called down to the option. Somebody, there was, in Girdwood, you've got your main entrance and you've got a few sort of side holes, if you like, that you can confuse the enemy, so to speak, um, and, and run out of. And there was, a, there was a carrier bag that looked a bit suspicious outside the side of one of the exits. And I said, right, okay. And I, I knew who the watchkeeper was, he was a good guy, so yeah, no job. So I said, look, let me go and have a look. It's right next to a Sanger as well. A Sanger had good eyes on it. I said, look, let me go and have a closer look. And I was so tired, I was so fed up. I just thought, I saw this, I'm not getting the blokes out of bed. And I could see clearly what it was. It was a, a, um, a load of um, empty bottles, empty beer bottles. Oh, sod this. I just opened the back gate. I run up and I f- booted it. <laughs> I thought, no, I'm not waking the bloke. I'm not waking the bloke. So I'm not doing that. Um, however, between me leaving the option and getting to that gate, making sure I had comms with the guy in the Sanger that could oversee it, and me booting it, the CO turned up in the option, didn't he? Oh, yeah, I, it didn't go down particularly well, let's put it that way. Yeah. Needless to say, there was a lot of guard commanders and a lot more QRFs with me for a while. Um, but you know what? The bloke's got a good night's sleep, so I don't have an issue with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in hindsight, probably was a bit silly and a bit yeah. naughty, but you get called out to so many fakes and so many this, that and the other. There was no wires running to it. There was no big comic ticking bomb around it. I took a risk. Fortunately, it paid off, but I just got caught. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's it. It's crime's getting caught. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 you know, it's interesting to see that squaddies are squaddies regardless of the war, you know, do the same with the you know, Afghan with the Valen. You, know, mm-hmm. you get a you get reading, and you're not quite sure, and you don't you can't really be asked digging up. So you just put your left foot on it, just yeah. hoping it's only a squint slightly, yeah, yeah. squint, oh, yeah, oh, fuck. yeah. <laughs> same, yeah. Same sort of thing, and I'm sure, you know, Gaz, you know, who who was on, he was talking about why he was when he was um, out doing five and twenties in front of the the warriors, and he would just mm-hmm. kick shit, just a bit like, oh, Yeah, actually, wasn't it him that was saying that uh, his platoon commander or something was telling him to hurry up or something? Was that him saying that one? I can't remember. No, that was me. Or was that you? Was, yeah, well, and I think him as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's madness, isn't it? Do you yeah, know I, was, I was coming, I mean, looking back on it, I was doing, we were leading the company patrol. We were out, we were coming out of um, Fob Nole, we were on the main road. It wasn't a metal road, it was a dirt road. Um, but, Really, cars were moving up and down there all day, mm-hmm. um, and we had eyes on this road anyway. So the chances of being an ID, but mm-hmm. I was nineteen. No, I was, I was twenty-one. I was just like first time I ever valent, and it was, it was for a full company of men. I was like, fucking well, shitting myself. Yeah, no pressure there. Then and the OC's like telling the boss, "Can you tell him to hurry up?" I was like, "Fuck you! You come <laughs> and do it, then, you prick." <laughs> Yeah, but rightly so, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's easy for them because all they're trying to do is, right, oh yeah, well, I've got to have this bit taken by then. But there's the reality of war that is, you know, it's a coward's war nowadays, isn't it, with with mines and various other bits and pieces. Yeah, coward's war that is. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think you've done the right thing there, didn't you? 
<laughs> when was your first do you see obviously this podcast is about you know the reason why I stalk it I want to speak to people about combat and their experiences mm-hmm. in combat and, and, and so on and so forth but when did you while you were in Northern Ireland did you really see any form of combat no no it was quite Pe- petrol to bombs beatings and golf balls that was about yeah. it to be fair um, you know and ne- never fired a round um, never fired a baton round although a couple of the lads did mm-hmm. just it was sort of crowd control if you like um, but no, I mean, from we were very fortunate, certainly in, in my era of the Northern Ireland tours, mm-hmm. there was nothing horrific from that point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just, just the public order sort of thing, really. I mean, the real thing sort of is when you start deploying to Iraq, when yeah. things started changing, if you like. And again, certainly with, as, as I wasn't there, but certainly with the, um, the battalion's deployment to Sierra Leone as well, you know, certainly the, 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 it was a, a relatively quiet tour from that yeah. point of view. When was your first tour to Iraq? I think it was 2006, which was Teleca 8, I think it was. Do you remember Um, the build-up for that? Yeah. Did you feel different from that to normal island? Yeah, very different, because obviously the news had been going off and a lot of things had been going on. Mm -hmm. Actually, no, prior to that, 2003, I went to Kabul. Right, okay. Um, So the, the battalion had already, no, the company had already gone to Kabul. I was finishing seniors, and I went out there a couple of weeks uh-huh. later and joined out them. As we mentioned earlier on, yeah. I flew out there in the Herc. And uh, yeah, having never done a tactical landing in the Herc and did not know what one was, when the lights went out and we fell out of the sky, I did shit yeah. myself. But anyway. So, um, so just explain that to, to people who've never experienced a tactical landing. Like, so how was that for you? Yeah, so really like the, the, I, I don't like flying anyway. Um, but um, going from the UK to. Afghan on a Herc is long, noisy and painful. You know, we stopped, did an overnight stop in, in, in Bucharest, which was interesting. Again, you know, we, we, we stopped, got out. There was only about, is it seven or nine of us? I can't remember on, on, on the back of this Herc. And, um, you know, we, we landed nice and peacefully and that sort of stuff. And, um, sorry, mate, dog's going mad. Um, landed quite peacefully. And they said, right, you know, we're keeping here. We need to refuel. Uh, and there was me and the other infantry lads started getting our DOS bags out, ready to something. Part of our RAF garlic says, well, what are you doing? And um, they took us to a, a hotel, put us up in this hotel, took us down to the restaurant. They bought us all dinner. We had a couple of beers. Uh, as I alluded to earlier on, two of the um, Rima lads went out on the beer, didn't come back again. Um, and so we, we left them there when we took off the following morning. But what wasn't explained to me, having not been in a theatre like that before, was... Um, We'll do a, a, a tactical landing in the Herc. Um, we were just sat in the back of this Herc, no dramas. Uh, it was night time, we're up in the air, the lights went out, and all of a sudden we just lost altitude. And we, what felt like we'd fell out the sky. Um, fortunately, the back of it's the back of the Herc is remarkably noisy, so I, I don't think anybody heard me screaming like a schoolgirl. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden, we just got really, really heavy as, as, as the, the airplane started to level out, and we, we came in to land. Um, and they do that for, you know, because of like the, you know, yeah. surface to air missile threat yeah. or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, but wow, what, what, it certainly got me off on the right foot, mm. put it that way, mm. if that sort of makes sense. So it's probably good to feel though as well the capability of, as much as we dig out the RAF because they are shit, um, to, to be able to do shit like that is. Yeah. It was impressive. It, it was impressive, do you know what I mean? But uh, a little bit of warning would have been nice as well. <laughs> but then equally, you've got to bear in mind, you know, at that stage, you know, I was a senior, seniors qualified full screw, 
they probably think, ah, oh, he's done it before. Yeah. But obviously I hadn't because, yeah, of, you yeah. know, who, who knows what was going on and that sort of stuff. So it was back in 2003, joined the platoon. Um, we went straight into, um, I wouldn't even call them Wimmicks really, they were just sawn off Land Rovers, mm-hmm. you know, patrolling, but it was a multinational uh, environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we would do a mixture of foot patrols, vehicle patrols, and even a bit of both, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the French and the Italians were horrific, mm-hmm. absolutely horrific. They'd do the same routes in the same vehicles all the time. They were getting hit left, right and centre. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, we weren't there particularly long. And well, what, what was the threat like in 2003 in Kabul? It wasn't too bad. No. Suicide bomb threat was the biggest issue. Yeah. Um, this, this was just really as the Afghan war was kicking off. But we weren't really, as a youth, the, the herrings hadn't started then. Had no, no. This, the, what was that? I think that was Otfingal, I think it was called at the time. Um, it was a multinational presence mm-hmm. in, in the Kabul area. Um, but again, you know, I'll be honest, you know, again, deliberately, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't find out too much about it, do what I'm told, when I'm told, the way I'm told. It's easier for my moral compass, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, so that was that. But um, we hadn't been there very long, and there was a horrific explosion. And what it was was the, um, the Germans, they'd put all their troops on a bus to travel them back to the airport to send them back for R&R. Um, along to the side of the bus, uh, suicide bomb blew up, boom. Um, QRF got deployed because um, it was literally 150 metres from, from the front gate of camp. What do you think that is? Complacency? Yeah, blatantly. Yeah. Blatantly. Just going off. Um, just get them all in. Yeah, because the, um, the, the it was the French and the Italians that kept getting spanked out there. The Germans haven't been hit because as much as we don't like to admit the Germans were pretty good. Yeah. Um, why they did this, absolutely no idea. Maybe that was that was the given at the time, but as yeah. I said, you know, the suicide bomb threat was going up, mm-hmm. um, which was a bit naughty. Um, and again, that was a real eye-opener for a lot of guys and girls there mm-hmm. when, you know, you, you've got people... You're not used to seeing the inside of people's bodies, are you? Mm-hmm. It's not right, it's not normal, right, yeah. it's not what you expect. Um, when people are crying, as they're sort of saying their goodbyes, if you like, it's, it was an eye-opener for a lot, a, yeah. a lot of the lads. Um, and, and strangely enough, as you can imagine from there, the suicide bomb threat went through the roof. Mm. And uh, there were still people wearing burqas and that sort of stuff. And then at one stage, we, uh, we, we the honest truth, this, this, this come out as the audience, all right, okay, the, uh, we were on a job and we literally just got to, I can't remember what, there was a stadium, I can't remember what it was called. And um, they'd literally just done a stone in there. They'd, they'd stoned this lady and her daughter. And the aftermath was still there, and it, it, you can't unsee that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we were there, and we were told the suicide bomb threat was very, very high, and the intelligence suggested it was going to be a person wearing a burqa. <laughs> Says right, okay. Yeah. And how do we how do we identify this? And the honest truth, what come down was shoot anybody fat in a burqa. And it's like, no, are you? It, it, even now, I struggle yeah. to comprehend. But if you imagine being out there, and it's like. I'm not telling the troops to yeah. shoot any fat yeah. person in the burqa. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, There's going to be no fat people left in Gabon. And that's it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely ludicrous. And I cannot believe that some clown decided to say that. Do you know what I mean? Inevitably, you know, if, if we'd have started shooting people, which we didn't, yeah. if we'd have started shooting people, we'd have been hung out to dry. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Push the order. No, it wasn't. Do you know what I mean? But utter disbelief that that's, that's, that's what sort of came down. Um, but it was weird because it, um, it was a two-can rule as well when oh, we were right. over there so as you're aware there's no such thing no, as a no two-can rule. do you know what I mean because again there was a few sort of foreign nationals there as well and, yeah. and they didn't entertain the foreign the, the, the sort of two-can rule they were just mm-hmm. getting on it 
Uh, we met a, a few good Germans when we were out there, actually. I did rate the Germans, to be fair. Yeah. They, they were quite good. Yeah. Um, as I said, never liked, never liked the French before, and, and, and even, <laughs> less, even less yeah. since. Do you know what I mean? The, the complacency, the arrogance, the incompetence, uh, you name it, the list, is, the lift is long. Do you know what I mean? It says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, so that, that, that was that was bull in a nutshell. It wasn't a long tour. We were literally, I think, two months that was there in the end and we came yeah. back. Um, then we got moved to Cheps, to, no, to Turnhill. And we started the pre-training for Iraq. Yeah. So just going before, before that is, you know, you responded to this um, suicide bomb. You Did your whole platoon deploy as a QRF? Just, just the QRF. The guys that were on QRF. QRF. Yeah. And how, did they? So this is like the first time they're seeing anything like this, really, isn't it? Uh-huh. How did they? How did you yourself um, decompartmentalize? When no, you got so back? I, I myself wasn't there. So you part, there. part of my lads were there. I was in, right. I was in Kabul at the time. I was in okay. a camp in, the, in, in there. Um, some of my lads were there, and the QRF guys were there but I personally wasn't, if that sort of makes sense. So it was really dealing with the aftermath when the guys came in and they're not used to dealing with that. As I say, you know, you're not used to dealing, somebody's inside should be inside, somebody's outside should be outside and that sort of stuff. Uh, And trying to comprehend when I haven't seen it, trying to comprehend what they've seen and how it's been. I mean, I've seen accidents before, but nothing like that or that scale. Um, And it was was a real eye opener for everybody there, how to deal with it, how to understand. and to be fair, the sergeant major, a guy called Dave, Dave Kiff, um, he abolished the two-can rule that night. Like, yeah. You are getting drunk yeah. and you're getting out of this system. Weirdly, there was a few people getting knocked out that night, as you would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I think in hindsight, Dave did the right thing there mm. by getting him to do that, if that yeah. sort of makes sense. Um, but there didn't seem to be any real ongoing problems yeah. after that. I think it helped the fact they didn't know them, mm-hmm. if that sort of mm-hmm. makes sense probably helped the fact that they were German, horrible as it sounds, because they couldn't mm-hmm. necessarily understand what they were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's very difficult. And again, this was way before Trim or anything else mm-hmm. along those lines, wasn't it? Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, I mean, Iraq really, so 2003, Iraq wasn't really go kicking off for us, was it, either at all? When did we start, 2000? Yeah, probably about Yeah, I think, what, when, when did they cross the line? I can't remember when that was. That ended to the beginning of three, something yeah. like that, wasn't it? Something like that. I mean, it wasn't that big for the British forces no. by that time. So we mm. still hadn't even experienced that much trauma as a, as a nation of soldiers. And that's it. Yeah. And again, you know, coming back to something you mentioned, I think probably before we started doing this, was that we joined during a fantastic era, if you like, of, you know, when I joined training, my junior, the junior NCO section commanders had maybe one medal, platoon sergeant maybe had two. Whereas now, when I was going to depots at full screw, you had guys there with sort of six, seven, eight, nine medals. Mm. Certainly nine if they were in the LI because they just in and out of everything, weren't they? Mm. Um, and how it changed. But you know, certainly when you were deploying then, nobody really knew what had happened and how to deal with these things from a, a welfare point of view or from a physical point of view. I mean, even when we, you know, if we jump forward to when, when we deployed to Iraq, um, we got blown up and we didn't have half the kit and equipment we needed to provide effective first aid hmm. if that sort of makes sense um, it just made it incredibly hard because we oh that's unlikely to happen going back to the Northern Ireland days you know nine times out of ten when we deployed on any on anything in Northern Ireland we'd, we'd take 30 rounds 
Mm. You know, not not as you think frontline scales, you know, oh, you know, four, four mags and this and the other. Because the RQMS can be asked with accounting. Yeah. You know, well if you lose a round, it's too much paperwork. So if I only give you 30, the max you can lose is 30, yeah. if you like. Um, and obviously that, that made it slightly different. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, whereas fucking later on when that would make go out on the ground thirty rounds. Yeah. yeah. Well that, that that was one of the things that really hit me when we arrived in um in Basra. It, it it was like a scene out of the movie. They were throwing ammo at us like there was no there was no tomorrow. Yeah. It was horrendous. Really? Yeah. yeah. Um so yeah, it was a bit a bit of a culture shock, you know, having gone from so uh, most of our Northern Ireland tours were Belfast, you know, having that sort of thirty rounds maximum before you deploy. Um and then when we arrived in Basra, well, never seen ammo like it. Do you know what I mean? It was like every magazine was full. We had extra magazines. Mm-hmm. We were all carrying bandoliers. We were all carrying grenades, smoke, you name it. There was literally ammo coming out of our ears. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was like something I'd never seen before. Um, and certainly I was a platoon sergeant then. Um, so getting all this ammo, and it, it felt like a commander point at Brecon. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <gasps> right, two ICs on me yeah. sort of thing. You know, trying to deal with that. It's like, wow. And they're just looking at it, like, even on exercise, we've never had this ammo. What's going on? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And the realization then of actually what happened in training, because you always train for the worst case scenario, aren't you? Mm-hmm. What happened in training is possibly going to happen here. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously, you know, we'd heard the horror stories and various other bits. You know, a few units had had a few issues in Iraq by that stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that 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 was that was certainly a surprise. Uh, the, the ammo alone. Uh, if that sort of makes sense, but um, yeah, bit of a surprise. Yeah, and was was it warranted when you? How how was that Iraq war, the first one? Different. Yeah. So um, so I was I was at a C company platoon sergeant. Um, had a great platoon commander, a guy called George Osborne, um, remarkably intelligent, capable bloke, fantastic platoon, some some really really good full screws. Uh, in fact, you know one of them for his job cousin, another one. He's, I think he's welfare officer now or something like that. So, yeah, great guys. Um, and what we were doing is, is predominantly our task was anti-IDF because the, the indirect fire threat was horrific. Mm. We were getting mortared and rocketed almost mm. every night. Um, and I'll be honest with you, the first time I got mortared, it was terrifying, mm. absolutely terrifying. Because I think within reason, you know, uh, when you're in a firefight, your skills and drills play a vital role. When you get mortared, you, you could be the best soldier in the world. If it's coming for you, it's coming for you, mm. you know, and it really is potluck, you know. Um, listening to them coming down, it's, yeah, it's horrible stuff, you know. Mm. Um, and we literally, you know, I was sort of like digging in with my eyelids trying to make sure we were as low as we could do. Um, but it's funny, it didn't take long till you start getting used to it. Mm. And then you're just like, yeah, oh, here we go again. Do you know what I mean? Doing whatever we were doing. So, because of that, us as a platoon um, got deployed and we were going out doing an awful lot of jobs in seeking helicopters. Mm-hmm. Going up, dummy drop-offs, real drop-offs, the seeking would disappear, we'd do a patrol round somewhere. Um, it was all very much overt, if you like, trying to, you, you know, make mm-hmm. look, they're here, they're there, they're, they're whatever they're doing. Yeah. How much, enough of, how much of an effect that had, we'll never truly know whether we disturb people or not. Um, but anyway, yeah, so... That, that that was that and I can't remember why but for some reason we were um, we were tasked to leave the choppers behind I remember one one up we were on we came we came back in to to um, was it Bashar Palace we were out I get confused or the APOB whatever it was they all kind of blended into one um, 
And the, uh, the Sea King was riddled with bullets, absolutely riddled where they've been sort of shooting at us. Goes out, goes to show how good the pilots were. They're all Navy pilots. That's probably why they were good because they weren't yeah. the RAF. Because yeah. um, it actually didn't matter how bad things were, the 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 RAF, uh, sorry, the Navy pilots would always come and get you. The RAF pilots, if it was too hot, if it was too cold, if it was too light, if it was too dark, if the football was on with the cricket was on, they wouldn't come. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, but the, but the Navy pilots didn't matter how bad it was, they'd, they'd come yeah. and get you, which was which was fantastic. Um, we were very lucky. We had a very close platoon anyway because we'd served in Northern Ireland as a platoon in, 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 Bel- in Ballykelly. Um, and just before we deployed, um, one, of, one of the junior NCOs, a lad called Chris Collinwood, died in a motorbike accident right. just before yeah. we deployed. Um, and actually we had to call some of the guys back off pre-deployment leave to conduct the funeral for him. Mm. Um, and that was, that was quite a, a harsh realisation in itself. To be fair, yeah, um, before tour as well. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he was—he was a good guy. He was a good guy, a very capable bloke. Um, and unfortunately, that—that that, that happened. You know, burying him, and straight away that brought the guys together. The fact that people were given the option, right? Do you want to come back off pre-deployment? Do you want to do this? Do you want to do that? There was no, you know, oh, I don't know. I want to spend the night with my missus or whatever. But no ifs, no buts. The lads were there, and that spoke volumes to me. Mm-hmm. It was a privilege, you know, being able to bury Collie. Um, and to this day, one of the best piss-ups we've ever had. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, but that obviously meant we deployed, and we already deployed. We were a bit closer because of that, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so when we were going back, we were doing the IDF stuff, and um, or the anti-IDF stuff, should I say. Um, and we got tasked to, I don't know, support somebody and do a routine vehicle patrol. Did that. But again, we hadn't had the opportunity to build up too, low, too much local knowledge, mm-hmm. if that sort of makes sense. Um, and we, we, we were doing whatever we were doing four vehicle four snatch patrol um, and we went over what what, uh, what we, we refer to as the Karma Alley Bridge um, a lot of shit was happening there certainly underneath the bridge in Karma Alley and that sort of stuff um, driving over driving over the bridge the car that was in front of us we were waved on by the Iraqi police that were on the, that were on the, uh, the start of the bridge because it was a great checking point it was also a massive VP you mm-hmm. know, vulnerable point got waved on by the Iraqi police and we went on there was a car in front of us that just suddenly shot off and um, then all of a sudden just saw these 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 bright lights almost like fireworks come up from underneath the bridge this loud explosion I don't remember a lot of the explosion if I'm honest didn't seem that loud to me although it was heard miles and miles away Um, and it was a, 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 a an IED I think it was command wire an IED because they found where the wire was from and that sort of stuff um Guys, every single soldier that, that night switched on and did their job amazingly. You know, you know, I trained the guys hard, both George and myself, George, George Osborne, platoon commander, and myself, we trained the guys hard, and we did train them hard, um, and it paid off that night. The front vehicle shot off to the other end of the bridge to secure the vehicle. The rear vehicle went back to secure the back of the bridge. I was in the third vehicle, um, and it was the second vehicle that got hit. Got hit. Um, so... Boss went, uh, he, he went and did what he needed to do. Um, the second vehicle got hit. He was a young driver, a young, a young lad called Henderhead. Um, he'd only just passed his B vehicle test. Then he did his, sna- his snatch conversion. And it was a miracle he didn't drive that vehicle off the bridge. Absolute mm-hmm. miracle. He was all over the place. As you can imagine, the wheels have gone and mm-hmm. various other bits. And what had happened was um, this, this, this projectile, if that's the right way of putting it, had gone diagonally through the bottom left of the vehicle 
up and come out the top right of the vehicle, but through the back. Um, sent the boss back, um, right, you sit in that vehicle there, as in George, you sit in that vehicle yeah. there. Um, you send all the sit reps, you do this. Got to the back of the vehicle, I'd already had comms with Jock, he'd gone forward, um, and the rear vehicle had gone backwards, again, to secure the bridge. But I didn't need to tell many of the guys to do anything, mm. because they just did it come natural. I mean, one of the lads, a lad called Caveman, we called him Caveman, because he was a bit, you know, a bit slow. I thought he was odd. Turned out he was on LSD for 18 months, but that's just different. But again, even he, he just switched on, just become this super soldier that mm. night. It was amazing. Got to the back of the vehicle, opened the doors. I can't remember if I opened the doors or if they were already open. Um, I could just see the stack of bodies in the back. Um, Claret everywhere, bits of intestines everywhere and that sort of stuff. Called, called Mouse the medic. Mouse, young lad. Um, been in battalion a couple of years, so reasonably senior soldier. Done a few tours of, Bali, uh, of Northern Ireland yeah. and that sort of stuff. Actually, he'd been in Kabul with us as well. Um, not long done his, his team medic, Carter. Um, so we pulled we pulled Boris out of the back of the vehicle. Um, Boris had lost his leg from the knee down. But as we pulled him out of the back of the vehicle, the rest of his leg disintegrated from the hip. Uh, and he was groaning, he came out. I can't remember what happened then. I think it was Frizz, you know, you know Frizz. Um, and some of the lads started dealing with the casualties then. I went down to the front where Jock and the forward vehicle was. Um, because a lot of the local crowd had come up to see what the explosion was. Mm. You, know, you run out and shout, rah, rah, you know, which um, away in, in, in Iraqi, if you mm. like. Um, yeah, I must admit, not particularly proud of it. You know, I cocked my weapon and pointed it at them. Um, there was no direct fire or anything like that coming mm. in at the time. Um, but you didn't know that. You know, I didn't know that. Especially with an IED, your thought is there's going to be follow ups. Absolutely. Again, you know, if you look at it from a minefield point of view, minefields are generally covered by fire, aren't they? Yeah. You know, so we didn't know, and we knew we were massive sitting ducks on yeah, that bridge. On, on a bridge, yeah. Massive sitting ducks. Um, but fair dues, you know, Jock controlled it fantastically well. Because um, bearing in mind, Jock was actually in the second vehicle that got hit. Right. He ran down forward to control the front, okay. if that sort of makes sense. Um, and he dealt with that incredibly well. Um, so I came back up, by which time they'd got Louis out the back of the van. Um, Louis, he, he, he would have been killed instantly because there was a, a massive circle that was just hollowed out, if that sort of makes sense. Um, so he had been killed instantly. Um, and then there was then there was Des. He'd also lost his leg from the knee down. Um, Boris, as you can imagine, was going into shock. Yeah. Well, he was already in shock, really. Yeah. And, you know, rapid, shallow breathing. His, his eyes had already started to dilate. Um, and uh, it, we were losing. And the problem is, is we didn't have the correct kit. Mm. We didn't even have the correct body armor. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Um, I remember getting, before, before we deployed, I remember the OC having a go at me, why haven't you got the right body armor on? I said, oh, we've got three sets of the right body armor. The mm. troops are wearing that, not me. How can I write to a parent and say, your son's died because he didn't have the right body armor on? Oh, I did, by the way. It's not how it works. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, although, to be fair, certainly in Louis's case, even the right body armor wouldn't have done him any good. No. So what it was, if you can imagine, in the back of the snatch, Louis was sat in the back left, mm -hmm. and then you've got um, Des on the left, and then Boris on the right. So as the as the projectile came up, it went it's through taken, Louis, yeah, through, through the bottom of his leg, yeah. and then through his, if you like. Um, so again, you, you know, bouncing back, making sure the lads were doing, we had, you know, um, cover and fire. Not covering fire, but they no, yeah, laid yeah, there yeah. To, to, yeah. to deliver it should the need arise. Yeah. They were all in the belt buckles, 
they'd instantly done the buddy buddy thing which is great because again they'd been battered on that buddy 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 mm-hmm. all the way through they were all buddied up and again what was nice to see is they were chatting amongst themselves because again you know the worst thing is being left alone with your thoughts yeah. isn't it um, went back to to check on the couch and see how Boris was getting on and how Mouse the young medic was doing a, a, a phenomenal job absolutely phenomenal job um, Boris had stopped breathing um, so <laughs> I broke my helmet or something had happened to my helmet a couple of days before so I had a buckshot helmet it was a bit too big and as I bent down to give him CPR my helmet slipped off and nutted Boris but poor Blake so I took my helmet off and started giving him CPR problem is, is every time I bumped a massive spurt of blood come out of his hip mm. um, but again we, we, we didn't have tourniquets not that there was anything to tourniquet that we didn't have Hemcon quick clock had none of that stuff because it wasn't deemed it was a high enough threat if that sort of makes sense um, but again, as I was, as I, yeah, Frizz came over and chinned me for not wearing my helmet. But you know what? Good, good on him. Yeah. He saw he saw something going wrong, and he had the confidence to stand yeah. and do it. You know, I, I I cannot even if I wanted to fault any of the guys and girls that were that night. Yeah. Certainly not for Michael. So when the when the QRF came out, that's a different story. Um, good 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 as gold. Um, but the problem is, as I'm giving Boris CPI, you can just you can see the light fading. Mm. You know, um, and I don't know if you've ever seen it. When, when people died, the, the pupils started on mm. uh, And unfortunately, we, we, we knew he was going in as much as we didn't like to admit it. QRF mm. turned up, um, and they turned up because it was, it was a twin bridge, if you like. We've got a one-way bridge that way and a separate bridge, the other bridge coming that way. And the QRF turned up to the wrong bridge. bridge. Whether that was their fault or ours, I've, yeah. I've no idea, not entirely sure, but it, it's irrelevant. They got to us pretty, uh, pretty quick. And there was this major turned up. Right, you, who's this? What a, what a bullshit cock. Um, he turned up giving orders. Who the fuck do you think you are? Why do you, you don't know who I am. My name's Major. This, I don't give a fuck. Do you know what I mean? And I snapped a little bit at him. Um, and then to be fair, he calmed himself down. And I think this was nothing any of us were used to. Yeah. It was so out of mm. the norm. It was like an optax serial gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, so he's probably flapping anyway himself. And he's, mm. thinking, he's probably flapping inside, thinking, yeah, yeah. fuck, I can't flap because I'm a major. I've got to turn up and look like I'm controlling the situation. Yeah. Not realising, hold on, if I turn up and be bolsy, yeah. I'm just going to fucking piss off everyone who's been yeah. in the situation. Which, to be fair, he did. But yeah. again, you know, like exactly like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, because I was there as a platoon sergeant, everybody was looking at me at what to do. I didn't know what to do. I wasn't making yeah. it up. You know, so... He was probably in a similar boat, so I sent him off to the vehicle with the platoon commander. Just off you go. What I was trying to do was a bit of damage limitation, limit the people as seeing mm-hmm. what we were seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this at this stage, Des had been quite quiet. Mouse had managed to tourniquet his leg. I can't remember what he used. Mouse is a dodgy bugger, so he probably stole one from somewhere or something. <laughs> so he managed to tourniquet his leg, and also Sarge, 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 and it was Des packing up the ship. So what's the matter, mate? What's the matter? Do you know any one-legged boxers? It's like, um, but that was enough to break the ice if yeah. you like do you know yeah. what I mean so Des was only a young lad he'd only been in battalion a short period of time uh, and not long before we went out um, the platoon got in a bit of a fight and it was the platoon and uh, Des just flew across this bar started thumping all these blokes and from that moment we knew he was a good lad because he got yeah. straight stuck in no fear no no drama straight stuck in Yeah. and um, and he was a good guy so anyway the um what do they call it? The Mer, the IRT, the helicopter films. Yeah, yeah. um, they 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 come in, took the casualties, um, took them away, and then uh, then what we had to do was get the guys out of 
the, the two guys that were out of the other vehicle and as much kit as we could out of the damaged vehicle. Yeah. Was it a right, I'm guessing it was a write-off. Yeah, the vehicle was an absolutely yeah. a write-off. But yeah. Um, getting to the other vehicles, into the three vehicles. Um, so they were overloaded and then we had extra troops in them as well. Um, bearing in mind that the ECM had blown in the third vehicle as well, mm. something to do with what had gone off in a sec. Right. So we had limited ECM coverage. Yeah. And then the QRF escorted us in and they just fucking went. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely went. Um, and we, we were left pretty much on our own again. Do you know what I mean? So we managed to get back into camp, got into camp and uh, got to the loading bay, unloaded. Um, I think we all sat there and smoked probably two packets of fags, even though none of us, hardly any of us smoked. Mm. Um, and this comes back to, I failed now, if I'm honest with you, I, I failed at that stage because I didn't rally around them. I didn't G the guys up. We all sat there together. Nobody was left on their own. Mm -hmm. We all just sat there quite solemn and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Looking back in hindsight, right lads, let's go and have a wash because we were all covered, in, well, a lot of us were covered in Clara. Mm -hmm. Some of the lads that weren't hadn't seen what had actually happened, even though they'd been on the ground with us. Um, because what I thought at the time was damage limitation. What you can't mm -hmm. see can't hurt you. In hindsight, it's the wrong thing to do. Mm. And years later, I remember having a drunken conversation with, with George. And I said, look, you know, I did this with the best interest at heart. I was trying to protect you. But he needed to see what had gone on for closure, mm. if that sort of makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, and I think that's how a lot of the guys and girls felt. Yeah. So where I thought I was doing the right thing, because yeah. I say, you know, the look on Boris's eyes, I'm never yeah. going to lose yeah. that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but you, 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 you think you're doing the right thing, but yeah. in hindsight it wasn't. Um, so anyway, we did what we needed to do. Um, George went off for a, a debrief. I was sat there with the lads and uh, I can't remember, somebody had laid on some brews so we could sit there and have a cup of coffee. Um, and then I think we pretty much sat there for the rest of the night. Yeah. Um, at some stage, the... Uh, I think it was the RQ, somebody came over and said, oh, come on, let's go get you some clean combats. Because we weren't in our base location, so we didn't have anywhere to go or get changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I made sense. So he, he squared us away with some clean combats and that sort of stuff. A little bit later on that day, um, the other vehicle had came in. So it was probably mid-afternoon by this stage. And uh, the, 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 the damaged vehicle had come in and uh, we, we had to clear it out. Mm. body parts and it's amazing how much a leg weighs yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean um, but actually the, a guy called Tom Crabb one of the other between songs he came down to see him he goes yeah, you're not doing this you've been through enough me and one of my forces are going to do this politely bugger off sort of thing you know what I mean mm. um, of which I was immensely grateful for um, good good guy but the problem is because it was midday sun then I'm sure you can imagine oh, it was, was stinking yeah. it was it was absolutely honking um we then got the notification that, um, the formal notification that Louis was obviously dead and mm. Boris died of his wounds a few hours later. Um, anyway, yeah, subsequently went on and we carried on doing what we had to do. Two or three days later, um, we got the bag back. Um, again, you're probably familiar with how this works. When, they, when, when the, the casualties are taken, if they don't make it, you then get a bag of their kit back. It's like a clinical bag with mm. body armour, chest rigs, whatever else it's, yeah. you know. Um, bits of weapons or magazines or, or whatever they've got. The RQMS um, at the time, there's very few people I hate in the world. Right. He is one of them. Um, for a number of other reasons, not just this one. Um, he then gave me the bag and he said, right, every round needs cleaning. 
every magazine needs cleaning. And I was sat on the floor, and I'll be honest, I sent the lads away to go and do what they needed to do with the, with the full screws. I think they were playing volleyball, volleyball or something. And I sat on the floor and I, I cried like a schoolgirl. I was literally picking skin, hair, dried up bits and pieces off the, off the ammo, the magazines and that sort of stuff. And uh, the QM came over, a guy called Felix Ralph. Always had an awful lot of time for Felix, fantastic bloke. And if I remember right, he even called me Danny. He goes, Danny, what are you doing? And I explained to him and he went, absolutely, he went mental. Mm. Um, he goes, right, stop. If you want any of this for your, your benefit, the lad's benefit, happy days. If you want it, buck she's. As far as I'm concerned, I've written the laugh. Um, and all you could hear him doing was screaming the Archimedes' name across the A pod or whatever it was it was called where we were at. And he was like, right, yeah. And he was calling him everything. And who knows what happened there. But if I'm honest with you, that that was probably one of the hardest elements. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because you, we'd have that soak period. We're dealing with the aftermath of that. Um, and then being given their kit and equipment. Do you know what I mean? Strangely enough, uh, a couple of days later, um, we were back on ops, you know, as, as you are. Um, and we were down waiting for the, the sea king to come down. And you know, we just, just sat there and something caught my eye and I looked over and it's Boris's dog tag. And it's like, that's, no, that's weird as like, where has that come Jesus from? Christ. Do you know what I mean? So I denied it, sorry, it wasn't Boris, it was Louis's dog tag. Um, so I pretended I hadn't found it and I gave it to um, his best mate, sort of yeah. thing. Because um, I thought he probably needed that. So I just found that a bit strange. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Bit, where where yeah. or how has that happened? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Unless, unless you know, uh, Louis had already lost it a couple of days before or yeah. something. I don't know. Um, but but yeah, bit 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 strange, a bit odd. Um, yes, yeah, certainly start with a strange few, strange few sort of period of time and that yeah. sort of stuff. I mean, um, the thing is with that, it's just the the, the I guess. Losing someone on tour, you know, you lost two people on tour, you know, in that incident, and it's just that first time. I guess it's just it's, it's hard. It's hard to to even wrap your head around at the time. Yeah, and it's it is a bit strange, you know. But 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 you know, going on what you said about the blokes just being switched on, you know, it was the same when we lost Susu. Mm -hmm. It was very much um, Susu was. Hold on, what's going on? No. Ignore me. I'll edit that out. So Susu, um, when Susu got hit, he got shot, and then um, the lads just fucking switched on. So mm -hmm. I was mobile to I see at the time, and just all the lads were just fucking skills and drills were on point, and you know, you know, as you do as two I see, you're going around making sure everyone's mm -hmm. fucking arcs are covered, they're already squared, set in places, fucking. They're giving you, they're shouting you the ammo states, and you're like, fuck, you know. Yeah. You know, and I mean it's minuscule to it but between sides but I saw that even at my my level when blokes in a situation like that were just fucking on the ball and yeah. the training had kind of worked and kicked in it's 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 a shame it takes something like that but it's it's phenomenal the change in the troops from then on as well you know it was like um, another world mate absolutely another world these guys were good anyway but they just come into their own and after that they just went into this ultimate, ultimate professional mode. I did have one junior NCO that struggled with it, certainly initially. Um, and I remember during one, one sort of O group before we deployed on a, on, on another op, uh, where he was, no, I'm not going out on the ground. We're all going to die. We're all going to fucking die. Rah! And it's like, right, okay. So I sort of dragged him outside and started chewing him. And then I thought, well, hang on. 
this is genuinely how he feels. He needs help, mm. but he can't be around the troops, if that sort of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got withdrawn to go and do some other jobs and that sort of stuff. He never got sent back off the tour. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't with us on the ground that night, which I think is probably worse. I think the guys that weren't there, you are, our minds are our own worst enemies, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. That sort of makes sense. And we, we perceive things or, or visualise things where they're slightly different. Um, and it's, it's, it's a shame, but actually, you know, other than him, all of the guys were absolutely out of this world, fantastic, if that sort of makes sense. It wasn't that much longer after that um, that I got posted back because um, I knew I knew I was only going to be looking at sort of half the tour anyway, right. if that sort of makes sense. And I knew I had a, a, a depot tour coming up. Um, How was that leaving? The hardest and the worst thing I've ever done. Yeah. Um, the tour was quite interesting. Um, he was he was getting really quite noisy from a sort of bombs and bullets point of view. Um, and, and, and the troops of your family, you know, you put your life on the line for them. I know it sounds a bit melodramatic, but you do, don't you? Mm-hmm. Um, and all you want to do is protect them and bring them home. We'd already, we, I'd already failed in that because we'd already not brought two of the lads home um, and wanted to come home missing a few bits. Um, and the thought of leaving them out there, not that there was a lot I could do to protect them, but I wasn't there to protect them mm-hmm. in many ways. And it was, it was horrific. The mm-hmm. hardest thing I've probably ever done. Um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't nice, wasn't easy. Um, but you get busy because literally three days later, I was teaching recruits in Catrick. Yeah, wow. Um, it so, was, so three days later, so you got back. Yeah. You, no leave or anything, just straight into it? No, I, I, I think that was it. That's why it was, it was three days because I remember having a long weekend. Because um, if I remember right, the missus had already packed the house because she knew we were getting posted or whatever. Because right. it was a UK move to a UK move. It's quite quick, same day delivery or whatever it was. Um, and that was it. You know, three days later, I was I stood in the OC's office and OC, uh, Royal Anglian guy called Bunny Nye, fantastic bloke, great OC. Um, he was up there and it's like, right, okay, you, you know, taking over as platoon sergeant of this training team. Again, some very good full screws, very, very good full screws indeed. Um, Lockie was one of them. He was a fuse layer, I can't remember what, I think it was one one RF, I think. Um, Moly, I think he's two RF, Moly. Moly, yeah. Yeah, Moly was one of them. Mad as a box of frogs, can't help yeah, but love the black. Absolute fucking um, lunatic. Yeah. We was, we had a reunion, and we had, we had a fuse layer reunion a couple of years ago, in 2019. Moly was there, and you know, it was, it was actually really good. People were a bit apprehensive if it was going to be good or not, because you mm. know, these things are. Yeah. There was a lot of good lads that just turned up and we were drinking and whatever and then we went down to this bar. It was in Birmingham, went down to this bar. Fucking Molly's just stood naked in this bar. <laughs> like not like a it was a proper fucking I don't know, I can't remember it was like a weather not even a weather spoon, it was like That's I don't know what it was called. There was people yeah. dancing in the bar, Molly just stood there naked. <laughs> You're fucking forty whatever year old year old man. That's it, yeah. And he's he's a proper grown up now because he's, yeah. he's a nurse now, isn't he? Do you know what I mean? It did make me laugh because certainly at depot, um, you know, because you're taking the guys from very, very basic mm. signing being civvies, and it was he'd always volunteered to be the one that teach them how to wash their plums in the field and that sort of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Right, this is what you got to do. Right, you got to get right in a crack at your ass. Now. Any excuse to get his plums out on it. Um, but yeah, Moldy was great. Uh, yeah, very, very good training team. Um, kept busy and that sort of stuff, which was which was yeah. really good to be fair. Um, but again, the welfare thing wasn't there as to what we would know it now. Mm-hmm. And even now, I say now, six years ago, whatever it was when, when, when I left, um, 
even then it was still massively lacking. Mm. I know I remember I'd been, been in post a few weeks, months, whatever it was, and I got a phone call from the welfare office, the, the poachers' welfare office, saying, oh, mate, uh, are you still a God-botherer? Um, you know, many, many years ago, I was uh, a very strong Christian. Unfortunately, I've sort of lost my way, if you like. Um, and, and, and that was the follow-up, you know. Um, are you still a God-botherer? Yeah, great. All right, take care, mate. Cheers. Um, and that was it. Mm. Not that I felt I wanted or needed anything, because no. in my mind I was, I was doing all right, you know. So that was their way of slapping um, your shoulders. And, just, uh, and that was right. it. They, they, they've got their tick in the box. Yeah. They, they've done the follow-up action. There was always that fear, uh, and Bunny alluded to it, Bunny and I alluded to it, that, you know, it wasn't that long ago that something naughty had happened, that we, he wasn't particularly happy with I losing the lads. Um, and all of a sudden I was in a trusted position of, of training these young, yeah. these, these, these young, not necessarily young in age, but young as in... Well, within brain, within yeah. the army, army. So, you know yeah. in their infancy of being in the army um, and training them and, and, and he was scared that I was going to go off the rails and strangle someone or shoot someone or whatever it was um, but yeah so, so and, and that was it there was so no how was, how was it the so how long was left on the tour three months yeah probably yeah. something how like was, that yeah. how were you that next three months did anything happen did you lose any more lads or? no Nobody, nobody else was injured. There was a lad called Sooty, he lost his leg in an, in an um, RPG blast. Um, I mean, in many ways, he was lucky that that's all he lost, yeah. if that sort of makes sense. I remember the first time an RPG went off, I've never experienced anything so loud, it's terrifying, yeah. isn't it? Your whole body rattles, doesn't it? But anyway, um, so yeah, Sooty unfortunately lost, lost, his, lost his leg. Um, but fortunately, we didn't lose anybody else, yeah. tour-wise. But were you, were you a, a nervous... Do you find yourself being... Glued to just, the news. Yeah. Yeah. Glued from, to the news as much as you could be. Because I was just saying, different, I was back from being a casualty. But just that three months after, mm. it was just, it was, it was all, it was like, for me, it was, especially when we started losing lads, the survivor's guilt kicked in and it was just like, fuck. And then just hearing lads' names and people like, you know, my, you know, my company lads. Yeah. It was just fucking, and that, I mean, that was hard. Yeah, I think in many ways it's probably worse for you because at the risk of sounding harsh, your priority was getting you better. Mm. I was busy doing other things. Mm-hmm. So my my free mind time was less. Mm-hmm. I was more occupied. It was actually probably a lot harder for yourself when you had arguably too much thinking time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, and again, I know Des, uh, they'll have to lost his leg the same night. You know, I went down to see him um, and he was really struggling. As you can imagine, mm. you know, as you, as you talk about survivor's guilt and a number of other bits and pieces. Um, not that there's a good place to lose your leg, but he was unfortunate that he lost the knee as well, which made life a lot harder yeah. for him, if that sort of makes and sense. It was quite early on, it was 2000, when was it, 2006? Mm. So it was quite early on in the prosthetics oh, timeline yeah, as yeah. well. So it would have been, whereas, you know, when it was more 2011, that kind of era, too, well, you know, when they had it for six, ten years or whatever mm-hmm. they had. Prosthetics was quick, rapid. Yes, yeah, coming along. My, my, one of the early guests, Tony Harris, he he lost his leg, but he didn't lose his leg till later because he was like, hold on, because he kept, yeah, he was got struck by an IED or a mine and mm-hmm. um, broke both his ankles, and then he just kept getting infections into his ankles, and it got to a point where it was just like, I will recover quicker if I just take off my leg. Yeah. Whereas two thousand six probably wasn't the case. No, so especially for a, an upper, you know, above knee injury as well. Mm. And he, he did he did suffer and struggle with it for quite some time. Mm. He's doing really really well now. They've got Missy, he's got lovely kids. He does a lot of 
I don't really understand because I don't really understand cars and driving but like is it stunt driving or skid driving or something like that it does mm-hmm. a lot of that mm-hmm. um, he's got hold of doing that through the sort of very military charities which right. is fantastic so keeps him occupied and yeah. keeps him well which is good so he's doing alright now um, yeah lost my train of thought with that one yeah we were just talking about um, how he was surviving guilt you know from yeah. likewise with me and you were basically doing that more you, you were different because you were focused on um, training and how, and how were you a platoon sergeant at this time for, for was it was it because it, it's different now because you've got like when I went through training and when you were the, as an instructor you had blokes that had just you know done operational tours whereas now you've got blokes that are doing depot you've got four, you've got sergeants that haven't done an operational mm-hmm. tour it's like it must just be a different I guess people like me who are in training with loads of people who've done stuff it's probably better you're better experienced with training mm. because they've actually gone through the middle of it yeah you know whereas now you're getting full screws taking training who have not done an operational tour so yeah I, know, I think you need it for credibility don't you yeah I remember it's drill I hate drill but I remember doing a drill lesson once with the, with the guys and the RSM of, of, of ITA Catrick turned up a guardsman and he was talking talking about something I was like, oh, okay, no draw. Oh, he knows what he's talking about. And then he was doing his visits. I remember him coming out to see us in the harbour once. He was still like, in my experience, this, and in my experience, that. I was like, oh, yeah, great, great, yeah, no dramas. And he's the RSM. You listen to it, you absorb it like a sponge, don't you? Um, I don't know, whenever it was, we were then getting ready for the pass out parade. He appeared in his service dress and he had two medals. And it was a, a, a Jubilee medal and an LS and GC. And it's mm-hmm. like, what? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, for a guard's RSM, how has he even dodged a Northern yeah. Ireland tour? How has he, how has that happened? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But then at the end of the day, you know, we still got to listen to him. He's the RSM, he's yeah. done his courses, he's yeah. done whatever. But unfortunately, he did lose an element of credibility in my eyes, yeah. if that sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that's probably going back to the arrogance of... Yeah, but then again, you know, our mindset is we join to fight. And yeah. if you've gone a full career and got to RSM without... Yeah. I guess there is you know there's ways of doing it like it's probably no fault to his own but I'm sure if I got to 10 years down and there was options to go on tour I'd be like fucking chomping at the bits to go you'd have thought so wouldn't you I mean if you think you know by the time I went there as a as a sergeant I at least had three there was at least three campaign medals yeah if that sort of makes sense and I was only a sergeant yeah I'm sure there must have been opportunities for him do you know what I mean Jubilee this year as well is it next year there's another Jubilee medal yeah, probably would be, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah 2012. Or yeah. 2000, no, was it this year? Might be this year. Was it 2011, wasn't it? Yeah, because I just missed out. I, just, I left, like, I think I left, like, the month before the Jubilee medal came out. So, so I've just got my one, my one. Yeah, I'm trying to think now. Yeah, I've never been very good. I remember the first one that came out, we was in Chepstow then. The second one, I can't remember where we were for that one. Because again, to be honest, they never really had interested or appealed me to yeah. be fair do you know what I mean it's certainly the, the Jubilee ones they're yeah. just like they're, just they're Cocoa Box free, ones yeah, aren't they do you exactly. know what I mean it's like yeah I think like your ice like medals yeah that's, yeah within reason but yeah yeah I remember getting them at the end of tour and there was honestly in the two sergeant's office there was a fucking box of them and they were like oh take what you want <laughs> the place got mounted now yeah yeah, well, that's the other downside to having too many medals, isn't it? It's bloody expensive to get them mounted, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Was it about seven quid a medal now or something like that, isn't it? But yeah, 
And then um, you you did the training as a platoon sergeant. Did you, when you went back to Iraq a bit later on? I did, yeah. yeah. So uh, finished my time up at uh, at, at depot. Um, got promoted, got my colour boy, and went back to battalion as a platoon commander. So very, oh, right, I'm yeah. very lucky yeah, with that one. I was, I was over the moon with that with that role. Um, but it's an interesting role being a platoon commander in an officer's world as a colour boy. Yeah. Because the senior NCOs leave you alone because they think you're doing a Rupert's job. The Rupert's leave you alone because they think you're doing a senior NCO job. And it's amazing. <laughs> um, I, my, my platoon sergeant was a, was a guy called Tyson Max Palmer's. Fantastic bloke, remarkably capable soldier, very, very good. Um, and the platoon, they were just full of animals. But the most loyal animals you'll ever come across. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, the discipline within the platoon was interesting. Uh, we worked off ab shots. You know, you dropped a clang, you got an ab shot. That was it. You know, Tyson and I were regularly getting ab shotted because we were late, turn up drunk or whatever it was. Um, but we knew we had a, a, another Iraq tour coming up, so we trained the blokes. Mm-hmm. We knew what was coming this time and we trained them harder mm-hmm. and harder. They were fitter than, you know, they'd probably ever been well drilled. We went to Poland um, on, on a, you know, your pre-deployment overseas exercise and that sort of stuff. Um, and that was good, some good learning learning points from that. I had a guy called Lee Davo working with us, arguably one of the best crews I've ever worked with. Um, his capability was phenomenal. He, he won an MID at the previous Iraq tour. Right. Um, very, very good guy, capable. And a lot of the crews we had were very, in fact, all of the blokes were good. Mm-hmm. So we deployed on, the, on, on that tour. Um, and we were very, very lucky. Um, to say there wasn't a round fired, that'd be a bit of a lie. We had a young lad, um, we were on the, the old state buildings just in overwatch of, of something. And uh, it was very quiet. We knew there, there was no real intelligence and anything was going to kick off. Mm. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, I was, I was like, you know, Mongonet as you do, I won't stack, I was just Mongonet. All of a sudden, you know, this, I won't say his name for all, and I'll explain why in a minute. Um, he let off this burst from this LMG, boom, 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 boom. And I can give it a large, we all stood to, went over, oh, what's going on? What, you seen a bloke, you know, with an RPG, get a vehicle and go down that way? Uh, I said, okay, no dramas. Um, got written up for it, you know, got accommodation and that sort of stuff. Um, it turned out what it was, he fell asleep, he'd had an ND, he just had the balls to keep going with it and write it off as a contact. Um, but yeah, so that's why I'm not telling you his yeah. name for obvious reasons, I don't want to drop him in it too much. Um, but again, we all knew about that, we just, yeah. Yeah, you let it go, mate, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but we were living in FOBs uh, because we, the, the, the role of there was to work with the Iraqi the Iraqi army, we had a guy okay. working with us. So there was my platoon and we had a guy called uh, Herbie Hancock, a major of HQ, who was the liaison within the the, the, uh, the Iraqi brigade. Um, and again, because I had a, a platoon of complete goons, as I say, loyal, reliable, good, yeah. good goons, but they were all goons. Yeah. If, if they weren't in the army, they'd have all been in Nick, do you know yeah. what I mean? And um, one of them, so Tice had a Black Widow, you know the catapult? Yeah, he had a Black Widow catapult. And one of the lads, for whatever the reason, was um, playing with it in the sang when he shot this Iraqi soldier with it. With it. it was only a stone, but that Iraqi soldier turned out to be the um, the Brigade 2IC. <sighs> Bigger than Ben-Hur, we got you know, almost invaded by these these uh, Iraqi headshed. They wanted us kicked out of the, of the fob. They wanted this, they wanted that. I wasn't aware of that. I was just aware that he just shot the Iraqi 2IC. Pulled this lad down, and I'm not a punchy bloke, never have been, but I got filled with rage, and I thumped him, and I broke his jaw. And his jaws were literally hanging, ha, 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 he couldn't talk. And um, unbeknown to me, one of the Raki commanders had seen that, um, 
and they backed off because they realised that was punishment enough. Right. We then had to send a, a sit rep up to HQ saying, yeah, one of the lads has just fell out of a sanger because um, he had to get Kazivacked back to the UK. Got his medal because he got Kazivacked. Um, he got an insurance payout of about 11 grand or whatever it was. And, um, so basically done him a favour. Absolutely, I've done him yeah. a favour, yeah, yeah. Weirdly enough, he put a, uh, a message on Facebook about literally about two weeks ago. There's a little screw in his hand and he... Uh, that just fell out of my mouth. I thought they all came back out. I thought they all came out in you know a couple of a couple of years ago or whatever. Then one of the lads is in, in wrote like, is that when you fell out the sanger? <laughs> I said, yeah. But again, the, the fact that they were a good, close, tight bunch of blokes. Yeah. You know, he never said anything. I think that people, uh, Herbie certainly knew what had happened, um, but because that de-escalated the issue, the issue with the Iraqi soldiers, got away with it. Lucky, really, as career-ending stuff. Um, but as I say, you know, it's, it is it is what it is. Um, but yeah, very, very lucky. All of the troops came home off that one. Did you, um, so going on your first tour, what was the experience like on that platoon when you were platoon sergeant? Do you, as in, like, had they had done Northern Ireland and this was... Yeah, so some of the lads had done Northern Ireland. Um, a couple, literally a couple had been been in Afghan a few years earlier. Right. And um, what about the second tour? Would they a lot have been to Iraq before or had they quite a lot? No. The second tour, um, probably a good 85% of the platoon had been in one form or another. They'd been to Iraq on the previous tour because the previous tour was only, what was that, two years ago? Yeah. Two years previous, okay. something like that. So as much as the turnaround of troops was quick, it yeah. wasn't that quick, if that sort of makes so sense. So there was still quite a large percent that had been to Iraq before. Yeah, and they knew what they were going into. They knew they were going into. Yeah. And the ones that didn't, and the ones that didn't know what they were getting into, they were aware because of the stories that had been told from the others. Right, if that sort yeah. of makes sense. We had, weirdly enough, we had one lad get discharged for post-traumatic stress, brought on, even though he didn't deploy on the Iraq tour, brought on from the stories he was told by the, by the lads. By the lads when we got back. And it's like, originally that, that filled me with rage. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But actually he's a young, impressionable guy. These blokes were coming back telling stories. Inevitably they were exaggerated slightly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, because obviously everybody all of a sudden turns into Rambo when they're on tour, don't yeah, they? Yeah. Oh, I was throwing hand grenades and catching them in the teeth <laughs> and that sort of stuff, which people weren't, of course they yeah. weren't. Um, but again, that's what, and this young lad got discharged for sort of post-traumatic stress issues because he was that young and impressionable, what the stories he'd been told and what he'd been listening to on the news and that sort of stuff. Mm. It sent him a bit sort of doolally, if you like. Doolally, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so certainly on the second tour, a lot of the guys had had some form of operational experience. So mm. very lucky. And I think because they knew we'd lost guys on a previous tour, they were that much more switched on. Switched on, yeah. Did you, felt, did you find that that helped, especially you being a platoon commander? This mm. is a new role for you as well. Do you yeah. think that helped? Then? Yeah. Because obviously... The first time going to Iraq was kind of the unknown. I know you've been to Afghan before, mm. um, and I guess Iraq was a different kind of theatre of war than, especially Kabul wasn't, it probably wasn't a theatre of war then. In no. 2003, it was just... It was, it was really just, it was, it was a hot holding ground, yeah. if that's what you want to call it. Yeah. Um, there was threats in, in, in Kabul, but they were you know, the suicide bomb threat, as I sort of alluded to earlier on. Um, but that was really it. Yeah. When I remember uh, I was um, resupplying an OP, a covert, uh, sorry, a covert OP one night. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't know, but I didn't know where they were because they'd moved, but they were talking to us on fighter radio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep coming up that way. Can you see the stones on the, on your right hand side? I was like, 
No. I can see some big white rocks on the left-hand side. The net just went quiet. It's like, yeah, what, what, what's the matter? He goes, you're in the minefield. It's like, shit. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So that was the sort of threats we were dealing with. But they, they, they were nothing in comparison, yeah. if that sort of makes yeah. sense. So then on your second tour of Iraq, did you feel it then? It was better for you that the lads had been there before? Because when I went to Afghan, you know, we had a good mixture of people who'd been you know, on tour, but then, then again, we were going to Sangin, which was, which again, there was a, there was like a handful of people who'd been before, so it was like, it gave a good dynamic of people who'd been, and there was mm-hmm. a lot of people who hadn't been on tour yet. Yeah. Then it, it yeah. kind of helped, I guess, whereas if everyone had not been on tour, it'd been a bit, a little bit different. Yeah, it, it's hard, isn't it? It's trying to, it's trying to find the happy, happy balance between a, a sort of dry sponge and a, a half-wet sponge, isn't it? You yeah. know, um, but actually, I, th- I think it benefited us as a platoon that the guys had been on tour mm. um, because they were switched on, they were ready to go and they knew what they were going to be doing. Um, and none of them lied this time. And what I mean by that is that um, not long before the original Iraq tour, Boris, it broke his leg. His, his mum and his parents, but his mum specifically, was very worried about him going on tour. Unbeknown to us, he told his family he'd gotten off his job in Cyprus and he wasn't deploying. So when they got the news yeah. that unfortunately had happened, what had happened, um, it so there's a lot of lessons learned from that. Mm. So every single bloke, we made sure they had insurance, which we didn't do, we didn't yeah. know about prior yeah. to that. We made sure their wills were in place. We know we made sure the families knew where they were going. We made sure that I understood the contact details, and I'd met or spoke to most of their families and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. because we learned so many things from that original tour. Um, and I'm not talking about so much in a bombs and bullets way or a tactics no, way, no, no, in a welfare yeah, way, welfare if you like. Aspects, yeah. um, we learned an awful lot about that and what's important and how to deal with things if they did go wrong. Um, we're very, very lucky. You know, other than that ND straight RPG thing that we're talking about, <laughs> um, very, very quiet tour indeed. Yeah. We were very lucky. Right. And as they brought everybody home, it was interesting, different things, and there was yeah. things going on, but not involving our call sign, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very lucky with that one. It was, it was a privilege to bring everybody home. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. And, and I mean, with the guys that had been before, it was probably a, you know, a, a nice touch that it would have been an okay tour. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy, like, because I spoke to um, my last guest, Archie. He went to Iraq. Um, but it was, again, a very quiet tour. And you had blokes like me turning up who had seen these guys go to Iraq and I was just like oh god fuck they've probably seen shit because mm-hmm. obviously everyone exaggerates but then no one talks about it and then you're like you know the reality of it a lot of the time is yeah. there's not much going on and the guys who had probably not gone on tour on that tour were just chomping at the bits for something mm-hmm. to it's, it's difficult because I think certainly with the, with, the, with the second tour the guys that hadn't been before and so that was their first tour if you like yeah. felt robbed yeah. Um, and it was an expression one of them said so I said one time, oh, I just feel robbed. I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, oh, I've just been to one of the biggest shitholes in the world and I've not fired around. Yeah. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. I see that as being a huge success. huge success. Do you know what I mean? You've all come back. You haven't fired around. You don't have to deal with any guilt. You don't have to deal with any bad dreams. Let's just go get drunk and spend our ops bonus. Yeah. Result. Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, go and buy that motorbike you wanted to, or whatever it might have been. Yeah. Um, but again, there is that thought process that you know. But why do we join? Bombs and bullets is why we joined. Mm-hmm. But then, when you sent somewhere and you don't get the opportunity to do that, I do understand the thought process in many ways that people yeah. do feel. You know, mm-hmm. no, I do. 
And then you, did you do any other deployments after that? No. Um, so after that, um, finished that tour, came back. wasn't long after, um, finished that job as a platoon commander, did about two months as a CQMS and, and picked up myself major. Yeah. Um, that was unexpected by everybody. Um, wasn't expecting to pick up, so I got posted to Catrick as Regimental Shepherd. Yeah. That's an interesting role, to say yeah. the least. Um, you're dealing with young soldiers that don't want to be in the army. Oh, I want to get out of the army, but I know if I get out of the army, my dad's going to start touching me again. It's a phenomenal amount of people that sort of bring these things up. Um, and again, weirdly, there was no training for this. Yeah. There was no, this is what you might be dealing with, this is how you signpost people, or whatever it might be. Just jump in and make it work. Uh, and that's how it was. Um, spent a year up there, um, came back, did a few months as A Company Sergeant Major, which was a nice touch because um, I started my career in A Company, yeah. spent a lot of my jobs, in, uh, careers and jobs yeah. in A, a Company. However, um, I was in A Company and then I came back one long weekend to pick Lumpy up, uh, you know, from the weekend on, you know, as you do. Um, and, and her mum was stood there, yeah, take her fucking passport. I don't want her anymore. I've only kept her as long as I have done so I can mess you about. I hate her. Um, needless to say, I sort of become a single parent overnight. Um, very fortunate from the point of view that my parents were able to sort of step up and look yeah. after her, uh, look after her, come back to battalion and say, I need, I need your help. Yeah. I've been in probably, what, about 16 years at this stage. Um, probably not quite that long. Whatever it was. Um... And I said, look, I need your help. I need a posting. Hmm. Um, I need a, a non-deployable posting. Yeah. Um, arguably, um, the RQMS I mentioned about earlier then said, right, okay, well, you've got an important exercise coming up. If you get the company through this exercise oh, for two God. weeks, I will get you a posting in the UK near to your family and friends. Fantastic. Mum, can you look after Lumpy for another couple of weeks? So six weeks in all, six weeks later, I got posted back to the UK. Um, to a close non-deployable posting, which was Nuki, yeah. uh, which is six hours away from my nearest family or friends in a deployable role. So I went down there as a, 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 uh, a SEER instructor, you know, a sort of survival yeah. instructor. Um, and they said, right, well, you're going to be in the woods Monday to Friday or Monday, come back in sort of Friday night, th- uh, Thursday night, Friday morning. Um, and then you have the weekends. I was like, what, and what am I supposed to do with my 10-year-old daughter? Oh, oh. And there was a Hereford guy down there um, who was RSM. He said, well, we really need an RQMS. And um, they, some two and a three had happened with the unit. The unit said no. And my understanding is they phoned up and said, he's ours, we're doing what we want with him. They had me as RQMS down there um, for two years. And I really, God forbid, I praised the RAF. But you know what? They know how to look after their people because mm. it was a it was a tri service organisation. Yeah. Disto. Oh yeah, um, fuck yeah, they look after their own. They, they really do. They, do. they really, really do. So my direct line manager was um, an Ellie in the Navy. The RSM was a Hereford lad. The OC was an RAF guy. So it really, really was tri service. Mm-hmm. A very good two years. Well, yeah, this is mixed. Then you had the Hereford guy who's they don't like bullshit anyway. No, the Navy and the Air Force are just different and yeah. look after them. But do you know what? They were all professional. Yeah. Very, very professional. One of the things that things I struggled with is all first name basis. And you've got the OC, who's a major equivalent. Yeah. Uh, and we're calling him, you know, you know, like Jack, Bob, Dave, Bob. Yeah. No. Then we had this complete sprog turned up in the RAF. Oi, I, you know, shouting off at the OC. Like, Who that? You know, it's got flying out my office in good inventory style, proper chewing them out. 
and the RSM come out of his office and goes, Danny, don't. That's not how it works here, mate. Let it go. So I, no. Who does this clown think he is? Do you know what I mean? We went in, we had a brew, and we explained all about it. Yeah. So I did struggle with that. But I don't struggle with a first name basis. I struggle with the lack of respect, yeah. if that sort of makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, but again, it, it turned out to be a real good posting. Mm-hmm. Really enjoyable. Met some fantastic people down there. Um, and then we got posted back to Battalion a couple of years later. Um, went in as HQ Sergeant Major. Um, interesting role taken on HQ, isn't mm. it? Because you, there's so many different moving parts mm. to that role. But the battalion was gearing up for a, a um, not a Kabul tour, a Herrick tour. Um, but because of my role as HQ Sergeant Major, I was never going to deploy. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, do you know what? Being Rock Sergeant Major was horrible. Because I knew what it was like to go on tour and not bring yeah. people back. Um, and we had a UK a UK option that was manned 24-7 to communicate with people and, and various other bits and pieces. Um, and you know what? I was, yeah, I was drinking quite a lot. Yeah. You know, I've always had that port decanter in my office as you do and Friday afternoon O-groups and that turned to a crate under the desk and, and various other bits. Um, and don't get me wrong, it was a a really peaceful tour for the guys on... on yeah. But... There's still a few incidents happen, a few rounds fired and that sort of stuff. But on the whole, it was a peaceful tour. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it was worse than a life sentence for me. But actually very light, very interestingly, it gave me a small inkling as to what it's like for families mm-hmm. when yeah, we just yeah, think, whoa, yeah. yes, I'm going on tour. Yeah. And you leave your wife and kids at home or your husbands if you, or whatever that might be. Um, and it will give me some real empathy for them, the poor sauce that we've been leaving behind all these mm-hmm. years and what they go through. Mm-hmm. Can't begin to comprehend what well, I, I could now because yeah. I'm seeing it. Um, and yeah, that, that was a bit of a, this, the start of a decline for some quite poor mental health for myself, if I'm being honest with you. Yeah. Um, didn't enjoy the job anymore. I had the privilege of working with two very, very good OCs. One was called uh, Harry Hinnell, Fuse League guy. Uh, he's out now. And then when Harry left, Dennis Samways took over. Um, Dennis Samways, I believe now, is part of the, forgive me, I might get the name wrong, is it Fusiliers Against Suicide? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's part of the organisation crowd yeah, yeah. now. Again, two, two early guys, fantastic working with them, really, really good. There's no bullshit with them, they are just the way they are. And it was great, and there was a huge element of support and top cover there for them. Because mm-hmm. uh, one of the CEOs at the time was, I think he used to lick windows on a weekend, he weren't all there. Um, but the OCs would regularly sort of rein them in. Mm-hmm. The opportunity came up for redundancy started happening. Tranche 3 came, got rid of a, a lot of my peer group, went, uh, and unfortunately I wasn't in that. And then Tranche 4 came up. I was in, in the bracket for that. I thought, well, do you know what? I've got 18 months left to push. I'm mm-hmm. not enjoying it. The money they were offering was a no-brainer. Yeah. Put my hand up and I was lucky enough to get it. Yeah. Yeah, a couple of months later. Because um, I hadn't had... I'd had next to low, no leave because of the, the battalion being deployed. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to get six months notice. I got notification that I was going to be made redundant. Three weeks later, I was on leave. Never went back in uniform again. Oh. Well, not then. I mean, I did join a TA, but... Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you say it like that. Actually, where's the last 20 years gone? Yeah. Scary, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So you then, and then you got out. And how was your transition... Transition out? You know, okay. obviously you... Yeah, you so know, I, I found it hard, but I only done five years. You know, I found I found it more hard. You know, hard just because it's you when you leave, you don't realise there's what you can offer isn't that great. Mm. You know, because essentially, especially in the infantry, when you haven't got a trade, there's 
there's not a lot you can offer. It's, it's different, I guess, when you're, you know, I was only a large jack, so not even junior Brecon, but mm. no one gives, uh, I'm honest, no one gives a fuck about junior Brecon in Civic Street. No one knows what it is, mm. you know, so and then it's all senior Brecon in reality. No, um, how was your transition? You said you spoke to me before that you joined the TA at the time. Did mm. you think that helped you when you left or not? Yeah, I, th- I think it did in some ways. And, and as much as I probably don't like to admit it, being in HQ probably helped mm-hmm. because being in HQ, you're not dealing with your average infantiers. Mm-hmm. You know, every department has got a head of figureheads. You know, you, you're overseeing the you know, the catering platoon yeah. run by a WO1. You're overseeing the Remy run by probably an LE captain. But actually, because they're all different people, different cap badges, you get used to dealing with people on different levels. Mm-hmm. And I've learned over the years that your EQ, your emotional intelligence, is just as important or more so than your academic intelligence, how you talk to or communicate with people. Um, so I think that set me up quite nicely for, for Civic Street as well. Then did the career transition workshop, which is arguably three days of your life, you're never getting back. Mm-hmm. It is fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. I've never met one single person that's had a positive thing to yeah. say about it. It's run by entire civvies. Um, it's overseen by an ex-military person, but they don't get involved. And you get somebody sitting there saying, oh, well, you will be feeling this and you'll be going through that. Well, how do they know they've never, yeah, they've never been through it? Yeah. Why not actually employ an ex-military person to talk about it. Mm. You then have your sort of careers interview and they said, right, okay, have you thought about doing a leadership course? No, I've done that. I think you should probably, you'd probably benefit from a health and safety course. I've done that. What about some coaching and mentoring? No, I've done that. Oh, well, I don't know what to do with you then. Well, hang on. I've just done, you know, 20 years, whatever. Um, Your job is to guide me when I get out. Mm. And you've genuinely no idea what to do with me because it's just a box ticking exercise leadership, health and safety, coaching and mentoring. Um, and as I say, you know, when I was in Tista, the RAF are very good at their CPD, continuing personal development, and they put me through all those courses. It's fantastic. Um, you know, they teach you how to write a CV, but actually the way they write the CV is, is, is pointless. Um, it doesn't teach you how to transfer uh, what you what, do. Yeah, what you're doing to CV Street. Exactly. That's it's, why I'm doing a lot, you know, because I work in CP, but I'm doing, I've done it quite a bit recently with, my mates who have sent me their CV and I'm like, mm-hmm. because I'm more, you know, I'm, I'm up, I'm looking, I look at CVs now in my job and I'm like, I'm like, right, you need to change the way you write it. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't, if I'm honest, even now I look at CVs and I don't really care about a lot of the stuff that's in. I was like, I want to know what you've done mm-hmm. that, that will translate into being able to do the job. Yeah. You know, if I need you to say, okay, if you've done a lot of the time, I don't really care if you, I look at the military and I'll look at a little bit, okay, what have they done? And then I want to know if they've done, if, you know, how long they've done. I want to know why they've got it. Like, I saw this guy who did a, um, who was in the army for three years. I was like, throw that away. I'm like, why, why were you only in the army for three years? Yeah, but I'll done it. Yeah, yeah. I was like, well, okay. I think it was even less, actually. I think it was two years. Yeah. Two, it was in the army for two years. I was like, well, I'm going to look at your CV. That's a discharge of some description. Yeah, article. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But again, you're right, you know, how to transfer or translate, you know, how you've been a rifleman. What does that actually mean? And like you said, you know, to a civvy, the fact that you can run a long way, operate drunk, live in the woods and shoot straight, means nothing to anybody. Do you know what I mean? But actually, one of the things we do as military undersell ourselves on is our versatility. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Because actually, you know, look at the jobs you did when you were in, you know, like you said, you, you, you did five years, but actually what you'd have done in those five years 
is quite vast. Mm. You know, and again, from a selfish point of view, I've had the privilege of leading people, working for people, doing welfare, working in the stores. Mm -hmm. We had two months and I was just making a bruise, but nevertheless. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but actually, it's got given me no qualifications, but it's given me the ability to be versatile and we can adapt to different roles, can't yeah, we? Yeah. Whether that be a private soldier being on a peacekeeping mission on the UN yeah. or a NATO mission, mission sort of fighting with bombs and bullets you know we're all versatile and that's something we do miss out on mm. and we're not very good at selling ourselves on if you like so the, the, the transition from a cpd no what do they call it ctw career transition workshop pointless right. it's a complete waste of it's a box tick a box mm. ticking exercise for the yeah. army yeah, it's um so it's utterly pointless and weirdly in the job i'm in now i do a lot of recruiting and i, I went got in touch with north luffenham one of the um sort of the bigger resettlement centres around here. Mm -hmm. And I said, we're employing an awful lot of people, even if it's just a stopgap, because I know it's just semi-skilled, non-skilled work, but actually if it just gets the guys a job for a couple of months until they get something better, how would you feel about advertising it? No, didn't want to know. And I thought, well, oh, well, I don't know who's going to be getting out in the local area. So what, you don't interview people when they get out. Honestly, the, the whole thing is flawed. Um, so yes, you're right. I did join the, um, the TA because I thought it would help with a sort of coping strategy, if you mm -hmm. like. Plus, if I also helped financially. Yeah. And the reason why, so it's not all about money, of course it's not, but you've got to still have the ability to pay yeah. your bills. Yeah. So when I was in, I was on, what, 43, someone like that as a sergeant major. The first job I got when I got out was on 16. Yeah. Bit of a jump, or drop, should sure. I say. So obviously having the TA, it, it helped that. Yeah, helped bump it up a bit. Yeah. Massively. Um, and it also helps because being around the like-minded people. Mm. You can say what you want, say as it is, and you haven't got to worry about how you're perceived and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, as I sort of alluded to earlier on in one of our conversations, was uh, in, in one of my jobs, I got very a few complaints about me because I was too direct. Because you stand straight, you look at somebody in the yeah. eyes, you, you stand facing them, and you're direct. Why beat around a bush? Yeah. But actually, we can come across as being a bit... I'm not aggressive. I'm probably one of the most unaggressive people you come across. Mm. But that's it's how it's perceived. So being in the TA, that helped that. Yeah. Um, and the networking of meeting different people because they're all civvies first yeah, and, and in the military yeah. second. And it also opened my eyes to, actually, these guys are better than you think they are because they hold down a full-time job. And, they look after yeah. their family and they do this. Yeah. Whereas, let's be honest, the opinion we've got as regular soldiers of the TA isn't good, is yeah, it? Good. <laughs> but it's not their fault. No, no. You know, I mean, have, like the thing is, when when you're in, you're in, and then that comes down to the arrogance of, like we said before, we're mm. we're army and we're infantry, and you know, that's, that's the arrogance of it. And the TA, you know, but then you know, I've had I spoke to TA people, and my, you know, my um, opinion has changed massively, just purely because, especially the ones that deploy. Yeah. You know, you go on deployment. You you've been in. You're a civvy, mm -hmm. and then you go and deploy for six months, and then yeah. you're back in, and you're back in being a yeah. being a civvy. You know, you're doing a normal job. Like, fuck, fuck that's, that. At least when you leave the army, a lot. I know a lot of guys leave straight away after deploying. But but it's also hard for them as well because we we as regulars have the ability to build the relationships, the camaraderie between us all, and mm -hmm. then we deploy knowing everybody. These guys only get six months out of work, so they get jumped straight in the, in the deep end, haven't got time for the pre-training, haven't got time to build their fitness up, haven't got time to build the relationships with the guys and girls, and all of a sudden they're there. It's just hard for them, it really is. Yeah, and, and, and that's one thing that I've said before, is I genuinely think it's, it, would, it would be beneficial for lads if they've done four years, 
and they you, you join the army you do four years that's your minimum but you have to do four years as a TA so <laughs> anyone gets out has to do four years and the longer you serve the less time in the TA the less amount of days you have to give sorry in the reserves now <laughs> the less amount of time you have to give in the reserves so if you've done 10 years you only have to give you know half the amount of days of somebody's done four years <laughs> or if you've done 20 years you have to give less and I, I believe it could help but I mean putting like you I think you brought up before it just might not be out beneficial to people because people would not be not want to employ somebody's in the TA but uh, you know playing devil's advocate it's a great way of getting some good experience yeah and current you know sort of current within within the, the, the reserves isn't it because let's be honest you know a lot of the guys are there and they've been there for 700 years mm. do you know what I mean teaching probably from some horrific book that went out yeah. in the 70s, do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's an outdated. Th- there's an element of that as well, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, and then you, you touched on briefly that you're, while you're in and you're transition, your mental health started, you know, to, to decline. Um, do, you want, do you mind just talking about that and how that was for you? No, no, it's fine. Um, t- t- it took me a while to come to terms with, but actually... I think when you're in, you, you deal with your mental health quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, as the, the process was going and I was starting to get out, so when I got out, um, I did struggle quite a lot. You know, um, the nightmares came back, um, the flashbacks came back, and just general low, low, low mood and various other bits were mm-hmm. playing havoc with me, if that sort of makes sense. Um, but again, being a typical bloke, you don't talk about it, you don't want to get help, I'm fine. Um, Arguably, that was a very big contributing factor to my second failed marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm slightly embarrassed to do a minute, but you know, my second failed marriage, and that that did have a big part to play in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're the last person to realise that we're suffering. Those around us realise that yeah. first. Um, whether it's appropriate or not, um, so again, feel free to cut this out if you want to. I did reach out to varying charities to try mm-hmm. and get some help and support. Unfortunately, several years later. Um, tried reaching out to the NHS. The NHS said, no, I need to go through the military chain because I'm, I'm a veteran. Mm-hmm. Um, reached out to varying military charities. Um, to, to, to name a few, there was um, combat stress. They wouldn't help me because my symptoms were too severe. Um, walking with the wounded, they couldn't help me because of what I was suffering with. Help for Heroes couldn't help me for the same reason. Um, rock to Recovery, that was... Yeah, that's a very difficult one, but they couldn't help me, uh, and arguably they made it worse by trying to do something that was ludicrous. Um, and again, because my symptoms were too severe, they wouldn't do anything. And when I say my symptoms were too severe, um, I was operating as normal. I was holding down a job, I was being a parent, I was doing all that sort of stuff. Um, but I was self-harming quite bad. Um, it, it's It's... Probably, I don't know if anybody listens to this that knows me, they probably would be surprised because I'd like to think I hold my shit together quite well. Mm-hmm. I can't take my shirt off in public. Right. I can't go swimming again mm-hmm. um, because I'm quite badly scarred from the things I've done. Mm-hmm. But it was the only thing that kept me going. I made a promise to my daughter, my eldest one, that I would never leave her like her mum did. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got to the stage where I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, and the only way, because my love for my daughter was stronger than my loathe for myself. Mm-hmm. So the only way for me to deal with that was to burn myself. Right. Um, and again, because of that, 
you, you've got to explain what's going on when mm. you're talking to these charities. But because of what was happening, oh, we're not qualified to deal with this, we can't help you with that, so on and so forth. Mm. Um, eventually, uh, I managed to get some help through the complex mental health something or other, uh, forgive me, I can't remember, CTLS or something mm. like that, um, which is a military organisation through... Oh, sorry, no, they work for the NHS, but somehow they're affiliated to the military mm-hmm. and they deal with veterans and people are like that. Mm-hmm. And I had a few sort of counselling sessions with, with a, a fantastic lady on there. But um, very often you realise it's going to get worse before it gets better. Mm-hmm. And it did get worse. And I was getting some very dark moments. So mm-hmm. in, uh, I sacked it, as you do. Um, and it made me realise that I don't need all that. Mm-hmm. What I need is what I've got already. Um I go to the gym regularly. If I don't, I do that for my own coping strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my family will say, you've not been at the gym, have you? And they'll sit and they'll kick me out to go and get some fizz done because yeah. I get a grumpy bugger if I don't. Yeah. Um, but also I'm very, very privileged. I've got a, an amazing um, cohort here of, of other veterans. Mm-hmm. Um, every Friday we'll meet up for a coffee because we all sky on a Friday, get out of work a bit earlier as you do. Yeah. Um, don't get me wrong, we don't all meet every Friday, yeah, yeah. but there's always one or two, three, four of us there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll always meet up periodically for beers, brews, whatever. Um, and it's just, we're all on the same group chat on WhatsApp, and it's just knowing that they're there. We never talk about anything deep and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm slightly embarrassed in case any of them ever listen to this, because they don't know about half the stuff that's been going on. Mm-hmm. But why am I saying this to you now? Because... Forgive me, this might sound a little bit self-righteous, but a lot of people have always spoke to me because I've always been in a position of command, if you like. Yeah. They'll come and speak to me with their concerns. Oh, Danny, how'd you deal with this? How'd you deal with that? And they see me as somebody who's got their shit together. And I've mm-hmm. had people say that in the past, but you've got all your shit together. How do you cope with it? I haven't. Yeah. It's the truth. And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because it's that good old cheesy saying, you know, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. It's okay to hurt. It's okay yeah. to be in pain it's not okay to not do something about it. Mm-hmm. Whether that be talk to your mate, go for a run, get help, whatever it is, you've got to do something because if you don't, it's going to bubble over mm-hmm. and boil. I've got a friend, an ex-poacher that's currently serving in prison. Um, he went through something similar. He had the additional pressures and he was fighting an additional demon of alcohol mm-hmm. or alcohol addiction. He got the better of him. He reached out to very military charities, a lot of those the ones that I've reached out to and more, they all turned him away. Um, the NHS turned him away. He fell off the wagon, got drunk, broke into somebody's house and did some bad things. Um, and it's a shame because he really got his life on track. He was a qualified paramedic, mm-hmm. owned his own business. Um, but it all fell apart because the help wasn't there for him. There's an old poem, and I can't quite remember how it goes, all the, the exacts, but there's a guy sitting in the hole, you know, sort of shell-shocked, if you like. Mm-hmm. Uh, senior officer walked past and said, oh, come and pull yourself together. He didn't know how to. Senior NCO walked past and said, come on, ordered him to get out of the hole, didn't work. Yeah. Padre come along, you know, saying a prayer, didn't work. Then one of his comrades come, come past, just jumped in jumped the hole with him. him. Yeah. That's the one. You know, you know the yeah. word, then yeah. Yeah, yeah. Remarkably simple, but immensely effective, mm-hmm. if that sort of makes sense. Um, so don't get me wrong, these are my dealings with mm. those charities um, and they're my perception of it and how I was supported or not by it. Um, different things work for different people yeah. didn't work for me um, arguably one of them made me a lot worse mm-hmm. um, because somebody that wasn't a, a counsellor or a therapist started trying to give me therapy um, 
And I think if it had been there in person, I'd have stuck his head through a window. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that, that's what it is. But, you know, I, I'd like to think that now I've relatively got my shit together. Yeah. But we all have good days. We all have bad days. But so, do every, so does everybody, everybody. And that's not unique. No. And the thing is, is I did this post the other day about ground in general and ground in detail. Mm-hmm. Basically, my, me thinking was it, you know, we only ever show the good bits. We only ever show, you know, like you said, people would think of you as this person who's got, you know, had their shit together and, you know, they can come for you and advise, which, which they can. But, you know, everyone's got their, everyone's got their demons. Everyone's got their, their issues. I mean, as you get older in life, you start to realise that people are all people of all walks of life are going through shit. Yeah. And one thing I try to do in in life is I try to if someone's being a dick you know 99% of people are good people mm-hmm. so I so I tend to if someone's being a dick I, I try and step back and I go why are they being a dick you know they're probably having a shit day like I say it to I'm like look they're probably having a shit day they're probably the missus has probably left them or whatever I'm not going to take it personally mm-hmm. because you just don't know what people are doing and, and what we need to do I think is a it's a general as a, as a men specifically and veteran men we, we need to start sh- sharing our ground in detail mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be to everyone mm-hmm. you know it says me who's got a podcast but you know it doesn't have to be to everyone it has to you know you can find and like you said you have you've got your um, section of blokes mm-hmm. that you, you speak to on a regular on a Friday which is, I'm assuming that's what's grounded you and what's brought you yeah. to the place you are today hugely um because actually you're talking to them and some of them have shared some great stuff with me. Um, and yeah, it's, it's important. You know, there's also, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't go, but it, it obviously works for a lot of people. There's a veteran's breakfast here the first Saturday of every month in the mm. grain store. Oh, wow. it's, it's visited by probably about 40 people every time, 40 mm. ex-veterans. Um, and I think the general gist, I mean, don't get me wrong, therapy has a part and all that mm. sorts of bits and pieces. I think the best support out there is each other. Yeah, each other, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. The body-body system's got us through the past. How many years have we been doing it? Many, many, many years. Yeah, yeah. Why would that stop now? Yeah, don't fix. I mean, it's not broken. Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly that, mate, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, it's... Yeah, I mean, just because I said, you know, uh, I've been through a bad time. Anybody can edit any time, come and talk to me. And the advantage is I've been in a dark place and I may be able to help somebody come out of it. So yeah, I don't have an issue with any of that. Yeah, well, I mean, I really, really appreciate that you coming on here and sharing that and... I'm glad that you're you know in a better place now and I oh, appreciate that, thank you. And thanks for coming on and sharing your story. No worries, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. And there it was, episode twenty one of the real podcast. So just just going on what Danny said and you know, him sharing his story and I really pre- appreciate him coming on and sharing his story and sharing his demons. But it just goes to show you that regardless of where you think people are, that there's always inner demons that you know, we should always try and find someone to share our inner demons with because, you know, we've, we've all seen it too many, too much and too, all too often where people don't share and then it just boils over and, you know, and, you know as we know, people start, people are taking their, own, taking their own lives and it's something that we need to try and stop. So, yeah. So I just encourage anyone to, to, do something like Danny did. Danny, you know, he had basically created his own section of lads around where he lived, and they all they meet up and go for a brew and 
a drink or whatever it doesn't have to be talking about stuff but it's just people the same you know this, this you know, shared experiences and this shared past that doesn't even have to you know don't even have to know them before but something you can you have a common ground with and then you can just just gives you that something different it's a little bit you know that something familiarity from when we used to be in but anyway um i hope you really enjoyed that i, I did uh, until next you can always um oh obviously could always email me at realpodcast at gmail.com get in touch with me on facebook or instagram at the real podcast and until next time lay low move fast and stay safe and i'll see you then